Hi, and welcome to BTS Podcast. I'm your host, Lene Cook. BTS is exploring the behind the scenes of a variety of careers across different verticals. On this particular episode, I'm super excited to have on stand-up comedian Jessica Michelle Singleton. Obviously, it's a funny episode because she's a funny person. She talks about what it means to be a stand-up comedian, kind of the roller coaster of her life. She also talks about what it was like for her applying to, being accepted to, and then fully carrying out her one-woman show at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. So if you're somebody who is interested in that, if you've toyed with the idea of performing there, she offers just some really great advice. I was there with her for the first two weeks and uh, she just has a lot of great insight to offer. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. The music you're hearing on this podcast is by Benjamin Betherum. I'm super excited to have his music on here. He's really great at what he does. You can look at well, I guess not look at, you would be listening to. You can listen to more of Benjamin's work at soundcloud.com slash betherum. That is spelled B-E-T-H-U-R-U-M. Thanks so much. If you're liking what you're hearing on this, share it with hashtag BTS podcast. Feel free to tag Jessica and myself. We are, well, not we, we have two separate handles. I'm at Lene Cook, which is spelled L-Y-N-A-E, cook, like the noun or verb, whichever you decide. Jessica is at J-M-S Comedy across Instagram and Twitter. Uh, she's really great. Enjoy the episode. Let me just make sure it doesn't loop off of these four bars. Good. Okay. Yay! Awesome. Um, so I am here with Jessica Michelle Singleton for BTS. Uh, Jessica is a really good friend and, Yay. <laughs> and I, uh, <laughs> an incredible stand-up comedian. Um, I was lucky enough to go with her to Edinburgh Fringe Festival and Aww. catch her show there, which was amazing. Um, and a total... Aww, thank you. Yeah, of course. And it was definitely like a departure from her normal stand-up. So we're going to talk today... It's going to be like a two-part thing where we talk about the behind the scenes of what it means to be a stand-up comedian... Um, and like all the work that you go into making stand-up stand up happen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then also I'd love to talk a little bit about the fringe because I think like the preparation you had to do for that immersive theater like production and was so different. Oh yeah. It was so different. By the way, thank you again for, um, Linnea will never talk about the things that she's done, uh, but she was a huge help in making that get off the ground the first couple oh, weeks. That is very generous. She's blushing and there's no one in here. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think also I imagine for anybody uh, looking at going to the Fringe that it's also a super intimidating foreign experience. Like, yes. And so I think uh, just learning, like, I think there's some, like, shared misery there that I think being honest about can help people. Oh, for sure. Where you're like, yeah, that. it's gonna be grueling. It's yeah. basically the Definitely. underlying. I mean, I think it's the thing that most people, by the time they do it, they know from someone else who's told them. But right, you can never Hopefully. fully prepare. Because it's what I imagine parenthood's like. Oh god, you can never fully emotionally prepare. <laughs> someone with a kid right now is like, "Fuck you and your stupid one woman show." <laughs> I'm like, "It's my baby." <laughs> I also neglected the show. <laughs> um, and I apologize for any traffic sounds. Um, we are at this really great apartment. And it's lovely outside, and I'm not strong enough to confidently close this window. Yeah, we're not fully sure we could get it reopened, and I just... Yeah, and it's not her apartment. It's my friend Megan's, and I feel like she would also, like, if we can't do it, Megan is a docile little lamb, and (laughs) 
she would be like, I guess I just die of heat in this apartment. Right. Yeah, there's that. And so uh, if you want to hear what Silver Lake sounds like, now you know. Yeah. Uh, so I think maybe we can start off on the stand-up piece. Um, okay. There's... You know, there's this interview where I think it was like a New Yorker radio interview with Jerry Seinfeld and uh, David Remnick asks him like, well, how long does it take you to prepare something like that? And Jerry Seinfeld responded with, well, that's like asking God how long it took to make an oak tree. Yeah. Which is also like, I've heard that before and it's like, okay, relax. Like, you're comparing yourself to God when you're like, what is the deal with traffic? And you're like... I mean, don't get me wrong, Jerry Seinfeld's an amazing comedian, he's so funny, but it's like, okay. But, I mean, it's true, because, uh, I, I mean, like, a lot of times with jokes, they're never really done, so I guess that's a good way to put it, is that, like, like a tree, it's always growing and changing, it's like, okay, well, it exists, but it's not gonna stay the same. Right, and there's, I mean, I guess I even thought of it in terms of, like, oh yeah, you're right, because, like, the tree needs soil, and all these, like, complex things in the soil, and as a comedian, like, you need life experience yeah, and that's to have like anything to talk about. Yes, well, that's the thing uh, is that um, I guess it can be difficult is getting into stand up. Most people when they start out, if they're very into it, you just go. You kind of have to dive all the way in and be like all or nothing. So you're dedicating all your time to stand up comedy, and then it, and then it's like, oh well, this isn't relatable to the general public because you see it sometimes in open mics mm. when you're coming up. It's that like you'll be at an open mic and people are working out material, but it's all very related to being a stand-up comedian and it's like yeah that's funny to the comics in the room like other people don't do this and you sound out of touch and crazy it's <laughs> that, like that's a really that's a good point because i also think um there there's this great interview i don't know if i sent it to you i keep meaning to send it to you it's with um tim ferris and aisha tyler and she talks about you mentioned it to me yeah and she talks about like keeping how she kept her day job for a long time um also, it's, like, a foundational thing, but I think I, I think about the comics who, like, you know, made it big, and then they got a little bit older, and then obviously when you're, like, a full-time stand-up comedian, there's, like, an element of life that, like, of course they transition to talking about relationships and kids, because that's the most relatable element of yeah, their life. Yeah, because they don't have their day job anymore. Right. And it's, like, what do you do? And now, I, it's, like, I don't want to force life experiences. That's the thing, too, is... It's a thing that uh, I notice with older comedians. Once they have, oh, my wife, my kids. And it's, right. I'm not saying that in a way. It's like, oh, yeah, we get it. But it's so funny when people have a kid. It's like, oh, wow, you just, as a comedian, you're like, oh, man, you just got, like, so much material. <laughs> <laughs> like, look at Ali Wong. Both of her specials are her pregnant, and now all her material about being a mom and just, like, and Christina Pazitsky. It's just... So funny, and I imagine even funnier to parents. Right. Which is a relatable thing. And then as a, like, for me, I'm like, I don't think I'm going to be a parent. Which there's a whole group of people that can relate to that. Yeah. But it's finding ways to have life experiences that I can then make relatable material without forcing. Because I almost do feel like I have to set aside time to be like, make sure you set aside time for life experiences, which is, sounds like a fucking sociopath, like, (laughs) well, I can't, Sunday is when I do my life experiences. (laughs) Thank God you have an autoimmune disease. Yeah, so relatable. It really is. I should do more material on it. I have started, and it's, which is interesting, especially when you go into dark stuff, you're like, I'm going to dive into this, and then people are like, I, I relate to that, and thank you for talking about this, but then you're like, 
I get I get very in my head. I have for sure have some sort of identity crisis constantly going on. Like I have identity issues, and I don't have a label for them, and that probably is a direct reflection of my identity issues. Is that I absolutely hate labels, and I have this big fear of ever being the being a comedian is the only thing I've ever been comfortable with as a continuous label. Like I've never gone like I'm tired of this. Don't don't sum me up by my job. But the idea of someone seeing a short set and being like, oh, you're the comedian that talks about depression or you're um, the comedian that you're you're just dirty. And it's like, well, no, I have a lot of dirty material, but you saw one 15-minute set and I have a few hours of material and it's all different. I get very, like, I don't know. It's, it's hard because so many people with comedy, a big part of entertainment in general, I think, is, quote, branding yourself. Right. And the closest I can come to thinking I have a brand is like, well, my brand is someone who's terrified of being branded. <laughs> Because I'd like... Yeah, which is fair. Like, the idea of being summed up. I mean, it's, it it ties into, like, I have gender... I, di- I don't want to say gender identity issues, but, like, when people are like, I'm a woman, and I'm a feminist, and I'm like, I have never wanted to be summed up by my gender, so I... Or, like, I don't want to be the... I'm a, I'm a dirty comedian. I mean, right. I am, 100%, but I just... I think I have this fear of being summed up. Well... Well, because people are so complicated, and yeah. branding is sort of a way of putting yourself in a box. It's it's also unfair to people because with when you allow there to be like a easy to digest like boilerplate version of you or whatever as yeah. a, and you know you see it happen with obviously we've seen it happen with women for years and people of color for years where it's yeah. like you get this in the media like an easy to digest like oh that's like what a Mexican family is like, or like, oh, that's what black women are like. You or, get summed up to like, as if we're, you're not a complicated human. Right, like as if there's not layers of like context and feelings and like, yeah, maybe you're stern in public, but you still go home and like dance around in your underwear and you crack jokes with your family and whatever. Okay, well, you don't have to tell everyone my business. <laughs> I wasn't talking about you. I was definitely talking, talking about... Talking about literally all of us, <laughs> right? probably. is like, if anyone has the opportunity to dance alone in their underwear, I think they do. Well, yeah, that's the thing is that... Uh, to sell something, I think the industry side of things, to like pitch yourself, to sell yourself, it's theoretically better to be able to sum yourself up. You know, to have, have that boilerplate, to have message. that. Right. I mean, what are three yeah. things that describe you, you know? And I, I hate bringing up politics in general, but I went, I went to this like, um, this really great uh, branding like day workshop that was awesome. And it was, it was through, um, it's like the School of Visual Concepts in Seattle. And it was this, you know what, I went to two in a row. One was like on branding, one was on something else. And so I can't remember which teacher I have. So oh. I, I would love to give them a shout out right now. I'm like, oh, they I were think it's close. Fine. And I blend my realities. But the guy, I, I want to say it was this guy, um, Devin. And he was talking about how it like really hurt him to his core when he saw the messaging framework that Hillary came out with versus what Trump came out with because Hillary's brand of I'm with her like doesn't actually say anything. No. I thought I was like who right. is in charge of this campaign? Yeah. Is it a woman? Like <laughs> yeah, totally. And it and, and like <laughs> and what is that it it just wasn't enough to like, make anyone go like oh I know what she stands for so I and like to kind of um it's like, like the equivalent of like an I'm with the band t-shirt. It's like, what? Right. Are, you're like, you're converging like a whole big divergence of thought and you're like, 
distilling that down to something that is like a very loose statement. Yeah, what is her? It's like we could have could someone have gotten behind that with like a creative agency and like made an acronym for her? Maybe they could have. Like, well, no, because I I mean that shit was all over the place, and and then oh god, I mean, I mean the difficult part is is that we know in our hearts we obviously hope that people are voting with like the complex thought framework, but generally people are like. I just want you to, right, you hear people all the time, oh, just give me the facts. And you're like, well, the facts are that, like, relations in the Middle East, you can't just say it a sentence. Yeah, it's like you can't give, <laughs> well, you can't bullet point right. this complex thing. Well, that's the thing, too, is you want to believe, I want to believe, that people are these free thinkers who will, like, fully examine situations, which also is, like, as an artist, to sell yourself, yeah, there's the idea of, like, summing yourself up with a quick, here's what I am, but... The best types of art, the best types of, in my opinion, come from complex. Yeah. I mean, because the real human experience, what we find really relatable is realizing that we're all, like, have these fucked up thoughts or, like, yeah. we're not just this surface thing that you're trying to, you know. Well, there's a relatability and specificity. And so by going really broad, you you kind of, like, everybody kind of gets it, but you also water it down a lot. And so I think, like, even... Um, trying to, like, make it palatable. Exactly. And for the people who just don't want to have to think. Yeah. And that's, I mean, who wants them? Yeah. I mean, I guess that's great if you're, like, Swiffer, then... Yeah, you're like, great. C- c- clean <laughs> I mean, it up. Yeah. Well, like, when people go, someone, I was on stage the other night... Uh, and I don't even know how this happened because I, uh, it is not uh, a weird statement for me to say that I am not a political comedian at no. all. Right. I have my opinions every once in a while when I get too deep in a dive on the news, I'll get a little crazy on Twitter, but I am, no one goes, you know who's a great political comic? Absolutely not. But somebody brought up politics from the audience. I was doing a late night set at the comedy store in the original room. And someone's like, well, how do you... F-? I said, I riffed something about Kanye. And then someone was like, well, how do you feel about Taylor Swift now coming out and give it, finally giving her opinion on who she... Yeah, her politics. Right. And I was just like, if you're making your decisions on who to vote for based on what Taylor Swift said, I don't want you to vote. Right. Like, and that's fucked up, but it's like... If, if you're not giving me thought, if you're just like, well, what did Taylor say? But I think when people get so angry about, quote, the other side, whatever side of the spectrum right. they're on, how could you vote for this? How could you do this? People discount the fact that, yeah, most people aren't free thinking when it comes yeah. to politics. It's like, they just don't even want to take the time. I, I would gather, I mean, there's, this is coming from nothing I've read, no statistical research. But if I had to just like, spitball. I would say maybe 75% of the voting population are like looking out their window and going, well, what sign is in my neighbor's yard? What is the community doing? I'll just do that. Yeah. Some, they must know what they're doing. Yeah. So whatever they see more of, I mean, it's the same with, I mean, it's advertising. That's, I mean, I could go down I mean, it's wormhole everything, of right? like, I think about campaign how, funding, but I think about how like when, um, like when I used to manage that event production company, we were doing a lot of, uh, music events and when dubstep started becoming a thing at first i was like what is this yeah like whatever happened to like the thing like and i remember watching like because it was this um party called spin the bottle and i think it was like sunday or monday nights in the summer and it was like a it was like a high school kind of thing but it was all like really good artists so it was like Steve Aoki would do it and like like bigger artists you know what i mean so yeah um and they had really good lineups um and I think it was with, like, the Cobra Snake was doing it. And it, it was rad. And it was at the Roxy. But I remember the first time I saw, like, 
Glitch Mob, who we ended up working with a bunch, and people were like excited and dancing, and I was like, wait, how are you dancing? What this? is this? Yeah. Like, how do you even know how to move to such a thing? Because yeah. like, I grew up, it was either like hip hop, which you know how to dance to, yeah. or it was like pits, and it was just like, you're just thrashing around in a pit. But it's also, you know how to and, dance because like, it's what you grew up with, I guess. Right, and then I was like, but like, if you just heard this on SoundCloud, then how do you, you know, like, I just didn't understand, but then eventually it becomes palatable and you get used to it, and I think it's the same with everything. Yeah. Where you see something, and if you see it enough, whether that's like political signs or whatever, eventually you figure, like, we just spent, like, we went down a rabbit hole today a little bit on Prop 8 in California about yeah. dialysis. And, and it was my first thought yesterday, like, you, like we were talking about this morning, like, when I heard the ads for it, and I was like, oh, but this ad about it is funded by dialysis, like, companies. So yeah, that, who make money off of people's... Right, of people's diabetes. Diabetes, yeah. It's like, so they have a, we need people to be dying. Right, and I can almost tell you that, like, if the organization funding an ad is... Basically, I'm, I'm more likely to vote no if I know that a business or like vote against whatever, whatever the business, business is saying. Because it's like, oh, you're just doing this for profit. Right. Versus, and Especially like, a health thing. Like, get fucked. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's insane. So I also just realized we just went on an insane tangent. Tangent? Well, so let's like backpedal a little bit. Oh, yeah, because I don't even know what we were talking about. Because <laughs> this is... Because this is how all of our conversations go. I mean, go, yeah, I that's love. what podcasts are for. It's true. Um, it's my podcast, Will Do What I Want. Yeah. Which is to tangent. Which is to get back on task immediately. <laughs> right. I'm panicking. <laughs> well, well, that's the thing you see with branding, too, with comedians is, like, just one more thought, and then we can figure out where we left off. But, like, I see people who are getting things, but it's almost like they're very much selling themselves in a specific way, and it seems right. very fake to me. They're, like... It's very, like, one-dimensional. And I am, uh, I have enough social awareness and, like, I'm good at, like, I don't know. You're emotionally intelligent. Yes, yeah. I have enough emotional intelligence that I know there is, I could easily, and I think about doing it just as an experiment, but then I always pull back and I'm like, I don't want to fucking, I could easily brand myself a specific way and just pander to an audience. Yeah. Which I see a lot of people doing, and it's working for them. Like, totally. they're getting commercial success, but I'm like, yeah, if I wanted to, I don't, I don't know, because there's times when I, I find myself almost, like, leaning into starting to do it, because, yeah. like, so much of my Twitter feed is comedians, and a lot of them are, I mean, we're, it's, it seems like a more liberal group of people in general, but, so, I'm like, you're fucking talking to an echo chamber, you want pats on the back for the fucking, like, oh, wow, you just pointed out a thing a million people have already pointed out. Yeah. It's like, yeah, no, I literally saw someone once on stage, not ironically, not with a follow-up joke, go, clap if you think racism is bad, and I was like, Get off stage. This is a comedy show. What are you doing? Like, yeah. of course people think racism is bad. Yeah. Like, what? But I'm like, oh, I could easily lean into that and just be like, I'm a feminist and just have, like, feminist on my shirt. And it's like, I do everything I can to help people of color. I do all, everything I can to help women, of course. But when you're trying to make it your brand, I don't know. It does, yeah. Comedians I mean, are supposed to be complicated and examine things from all sides. In, in the truest form, but that's also, like... When you're looking at, I mean, I think about how many decks I've looked at for influencers and stuff, yeah. and how many times, like, the nuance is just lost on a lot of people, where they're like, well, what are they really about? Well, if that's not a brunch blogger, we don't want to work with them. Or, like, if that's not, and you're like, okay, so you don't think that perhaps also people who do X, Y, and Z also like cocktails and would want to buy you know what I mean or like whatever yeah it is that, that it like, can be multifaceted yeah and and also don't you think that if somebody is specifically a brunch blogger 
and your, you know, like a liqueur brand or whatever that maybe your product will get lost in that because they just talk about it all the time. And so if you can hop in on somebody who just doesn't talk about boozy brunches all the time. Then it's different. They're like, oh, wow, this must be a big deal because this person doesn't talk about this a lot. Right. Yeah, because I go through sometimes, like, I have moments of envy for some people who are very... I want to say well-branded. Like, I have a friend who started... Buttoned up. It's like a buttoned-up type Yeah, thing, but it's like, oh, you're you're not allowing people to see the complex sides of you. Like, I yeah. helped a friend... We're not even friends anymore. It doesn't matter. I shouldn't have said that. But, like, uh, come up with a merch plan for stuff. And it was so easy because she's so... She's like a character. Right. But I was like, oh, I can do that for some other people. I can't for the fucking life of me come up with what something that screams me you know what I mean the people see it and they're like oh JMS Jessica Michelle and like I sometimes envy that it's like oh that it's so easy for you to go oh just these crystals and I can't fucking yeah no it's it's really hard but I think that's also sometimes when somebody's 100% that that is their identity and that's I it almost makes me feel like they're avoiding developing other parts of their like no absolutely it's like they're capping and, and they're just yeah. I mean, the term basic is so gross, but it's like, oh, you're just choosing to be this one-dimensional right. fake thing for a public which persona. Which is easier. Like, I, I have yeah, which people, toyed with it myself where I'm like, oh, if I just fully subscribe to this caricature, yes, it would be super easy and I wouldn't have to make as many... It's like the, you know, like the same reason why we're black all the time. I'm like, oh, I just don't have to make decisions. I love wearing colors and I love doing all this stuff. But then, like, my purchasing cho- options change, and then my packing options change, my laundry changes. Yeah. It'll just be easier for me to wear all black. Like, I could just pretend to care about reality TV and, like, nothing else and be very passionate about it. Yeah. Or, like, whatever. You know, like, yeah. pop culture. And it's, like... As, a, as your own brand. And people... I get that all the time. We talk about this on your podcast that I was on, where, like, people will be, like, act as if I don't know or haven't thought about, like, oh, if I just stuck to a very clear perspective in my photography that... Yeah then I might get more stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but that's not It'd be like, I'm not a one-sided thing. Yeah, like, I'm happy to make a specific Instagram account or a specific website or whatever for yeah. this one project I'm doing. But like, I do sometimes think about making a separate thing just and even giving it, like, a different a whole thing. Yeah, not even related to me, just to yeah. see how it goes. And then I'm like, I don't have the dedication. Like, No, it's, like, so much time to do a thing that you're like, I'm not that passionate about this one thing. Right. Um, so... To backtrack a little bit, I would like to talk about in terms of how you land on, um, like I heard you and Madison talking a little bit about how, when you first started comedy and like having a three minute set, five minute set, whatever. Like, what was that first set, few sets like for you? Like your first few times at um, doing stand up, and like how did you prepare? Um, okay, well the very first time I started stand up, I for years said I was going to be a comedian. Like I was in college. I'm like, well, I'm going to be a comedian. I thought I like wanted to be on Saturday Night Live. Had no idea how to do it. I was not part of any type of improv group mm-hmm. doing sketches. I didn't understand anything. Yeah. Um, other than I was the funny girl in my group of friends. I was the funniest one in my sorority, which even now I'm like, it seems weird that I was in a sorority, but like it was also a group of women who you would be like, oh, you guys are just like normal, cool women not the one-dimensional cookie-cutter thing that we think of sorority women or girls, whatever. But, so we had things where we'd have to write variety shows. I'd always write those. We'd always win because they were funny. Um, And by my, like, last semester or last year of college, I was like, I guess I should figure out how to do comedy. Mm -hmm. So I looked up an open mic because I was like, I don't know how to just 
be in sketches unless I have a group of people. Right. Um, and I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to college for, you know, television acting or whatever the fuck. Right. Theater, anything. Broadcast so, media or like whatever. Yeah. So I was like, oh, some people on Saturday Night Live have been stand-up comedians. So I guess I'll try stand-up. And I just found an open mic. There's two comedy clubs in my, in the city I was in. I looked it up and then I wrote out like, and I have very rarely done this since. Uh, I scripted a full set and it was just about, it was like a characterized version of me, which I think a lot of people when they start and even like throughout their career, some people maintain, which goes back to that whole branding thing where it's Mm -hmm. like what I wrote was about being like slutty and drunk, which were not false things. Like I was in college. Excuse me, as I burp on the podcast, but... And as every parent is like, oh, God. Yeah. My daughter. My daughter. Well, it's just very much like you saw, like, at the time, Chelsea Handler had her show, and it was like, oh, she's like this bit of a mess, Amy Schumer, and it's like... Right. Yeah, you could just lean into that one thing. Yeah. Whereas, like, I see Amy Schumer now, and it's like, almost as if she's doing a rebrand, but, Mm -hmm. like, it's interesting, because I remember seeing an article about her talking about gun violence at a show and people walking out, and it's like... Yeah, no, like, you got blown up as the train wreck. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, you were the drunk party girl, and then for you to go, like, how dare anyone call me a whore? And it's like, well, you can't brand yourself as a whore and be like, you know, oh, I'm such a drunk. And then it's very interesting for me to watch someone go, like, you can't, don't say that about me. And it's like, well, that's what you told people you are. Right. That's why it's complicated. But nevertheless, I wrote out this whole thing. I had no idea, no concept of how long it would be. I wrote, like, two pages of typed out stuff. Mm-hmm. I stood in the chapter room of my sorority house, like, alone for, like, a whole week leading up to it, just reciting in front of a mirror and, like, practicing all my, like, movements. And um, I didn't time it because I had no concept of time. Like, I just, I didn't Shocking. know how. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I still don't. But I, <laughs> I didn't know how many minutes you get. And then, like, at this open mic, I went to... I didn't know about the light, so the light, which every once in a while, if you go to a lot of live comedy shows, you'll see comedians address it. And I've even done it, but it bothers me because I go, because in my head I'm like, people don't know what the light is. When you're like, I'm getting the light. It's like the general audience is like, what are you talking about? Right. Because from the back of the room, when your set's about to wrap up, or it's time for you to wrap up, they'll give you a light. And a lot of times it's worked out like, oh, when do you want your light when you're performing? Oh, I'll give me when I have two minutes left, whatever. But an open mic at this one, I guess they had an established light thing, which people who had been regular going, regularly going knew. I got a light, just kept going. And then eventually they like played music. And I was like, oh, I guess I've gone to. Like, I literally went so long they played me off. But it was an amazing set. And I was just doing like jokes about all that stuff, like being, you know, drunk and slutty. And it's like a whole bunch of my friends came out. They were so excited, which. If I can give any advice, do not invite people to your first show. It worked out for me, but, like, who, boy. And I was just doing a whole, like, chunk of jokes about how I had a thing for Indian guys, because I had a thing for Indian guys. And I didn't know this, but that open mic was a showcase for this thing called Florida's Funniest Comic. Okay. And so I got automatically, from that open mic, I got automatically moved to the semifinals of this competition. That's crazy. Which is insane. And of there was every other comedian that was probably like, I'm going and going to try to get in these finals. And so I was meeting all these comedians and they're like, oh my God, nice to meet you. Who are you? You're so funny. 
Um, and the owner of the club, not the owner, the manager, came up to me and he's like, hey, that's really funny. I want to put you in this thing or you're going to be in the finals, but you need to be cleaner. And I didn't understand what clean meant for comedy clubs. Mm. So I wrote a whole different set. Like I could have just taken out a bunch of the fucks and been fine. But because I was, I was saying fuck like every other. Right. And if you're, I mean, I feel like you and I are both pretty conscious of like older people and like what clean means and like when not to cuss around kids and yeah. stuff, which a lot of people aren't. And so if somebody, I would have thought the same thing. If yeah, I would try to go clean, like G-rated I'd Disney. I'd be like, oh, I can't talk about sex ever. Yeah. So my, I wrote a whole new set, which I was like, I don't think, I don't think that's as funny as the other set, but there's some jokes. It's interesting. I also had a thing with a musical cue in the set, which I will never do again because the DJ fucked it up. And so I was just up there like, all right, well, I bombed my second set. I had an amazing first set. Absolutely ate shit on my second set. But I still was, like, chasing... It was, like, chasing a dragon. The thing was, is that I did it as a, like, well, I'll try this, and then I'll figure out how to do other things from there. Right. But the, like, it's so corny, but the moment I got my first, like, big laugh on my first set, it was, like, something, like, clicked in my head, and I was, like, this is what I'm supposed to do. Like, I was, like, oh, this, this is my thing. Right. Like, and a lot of people go... I mean, chasing a dream is crazy, and but a lot of people go, like, wow really you know bold move following your dream which 100 percent is true and it has not been easy and it's an uphill climb but i was never i don't know it made sense for me i was like oh this will work out right. from the beginning i was like i don't know how i don't know like at what capacity but i was like i this is a thing i am good at right because that's the thing about following your dreams too is a lot of people like yeah a lot of people suck at their dreams I like, mean, a lot of people. It's like a lot of people's dream is to be in the NBA, and it's just not going to happen. A lot of people's dreams is not taking in themselves into consideration. It's like them seeing something and like projecting their a version home. of themselves. Yeah, inserting themselves. It's like, okay, well, is that a skill set you have? Right, and and, and obviously like, things can be developed. Things can be developed, and I think also so much of your dreams. It depends on like with the NBA example. It's like. Yeah, that has so much to do... Like, there's so many factors that play into that versus I think about, like, something... And, like, even with acting. Like, the having friends... I was just talking to a good friend of mine about this the other day where she's had, like, a really successful modeling career. And I was kind of like, I don't really understand how, like, the dis, where the disconnect is between acting and, and modeling, right? Like, how do wow. you... Because in my mind, it was, like, a clear, easy transition. And she was just saying it's, like, truly who you know. But, and because she's... Oh, yeah. Well, it's also, like... I mean, I'm not shitting on models, but it's like just because you're good at being in front of a camera still doesn't mean you'll be a good actress. But so much right. of acting is like, like a lot of my friends who are getting success, it's like, yes, there are people coming up like grassroots from comedy and they're being discovered 100%, which is amazing. But so many of my friends who have gotten oppor bigger opportunities in acting, it's like, yeah, they went to a school with a, like, like NYU has a whole, like their Tisch Arts program. It's like, so tied into television that people are like, oh, you went to NYU, I'm going to hire this person from NYU. I have right. friends on shows because their friend from NYU got a show. And it's like, it happens a lot with comedy writers. A lot of comedy writers come out of Harvard. And it's like, oh, you were afforded the opportunity to go to a school yeah. that now put you in a network of people who are going to consider you first. Totally. And it happens with basketball and football, which I didn't realize, but there are like high schools that get scouted and yeah. it's like you can be amazing at football but if you live in anchorage alaska like no one's looking for you no one's paying attention it's like you you'll be lucky if you get which maybe has been lessened by like the internet you know like yes. being able to like put your reels and stuff like that on there but i Hopefully. just think about like 
there are very specific areas where like you're really relying on somebody to vouch for you and acting being one of them you know like comedy you can go to an open mic night and like prove yourself at different places it's like you're still like for higher level stuff getting into clubs right exactly you're still you're still for those but you can still get in the practice of doing it yeah versus acting is like yeah, I guess you could sit at home and practice. Like monologues, but if you're not giving the opportunity to be in front of the right person. Right. And for that person to go like, oh yeah, I can see that like I caught you on a good day. Yeah. And like you're caffeinated enough or you're chill enough or you're not like nervous enough or whatever. That it worked out, that it's a good job. And I'm willing to also like put, because if you're, I just imagine if you're a casting director, right? And you're in casting and you're going, hey, this person's good for this role, whatever. You're also putting yourself on the line. Yeah, because if they suck, then whoever you're working with isn't going to want you to cast things again. Right. And so so I think that that's like a really interesting kind of space where so much of what you want does rely. Like with sports, it's a totally different... <laughs> I was going to say ball game. But, uh, <laughs> uh, Literally. It's, it's just different in a way. And with action sports, it's totally different. But I just... It's different in a way because you're like genetics, injuries, like all these other things. But Factors. Then with, yeah. yeah, factor into it. And then with acting, it's like... It's that. And then with comedy, I feel like there's so many tiers of of different things. Well, yeah, and, and there like is a, like, knowing people or, like, getting discovered for your talent or getting discovered because you are talented but also fit the specific thing they're looking for. You're the young whatever thing. And they're like, oh, you're funny enough and we'll try to push you. Because I do think sometimes the industry just jumps on someone and tries to shove them down people's throats. And it's like, yeah, they're okay, but, like, you're going to blow them up more than they're ready for and then right fucking, i don't envy people who get like scooped up yeah who get like blown up right away because the fucking world is cruel and now with the internet yeah. and people it's so accessible for people to just shit on you and when you're that young, and you don't get time to develop like you're, you're gonna not ready get better. to process that like no. i think about my friends who saw success really early on in life and like for some of them when that's faded i've I really sympathize with them, and I had this conversation with a friend of mine um, who was in, like, a pretty successful band in his early, like, like late teens and early 20s, and when that band, um, like, fell apart, I was like, dude, when that's... When they disbanded. When they did... <laughs> We're just all over. <laughs> Crushing it. Um, to, to have your only adult experience be being famous... Yeah, and then you're like, where do I go from here? What do I do, right? Like, I think about... um, How do I be in the real world? Yeah, and I thought about how great it was. There was that um, actor who, like, somebody was like, oh, my God, I can't believe he's, like, bagging groceries. And he's like, hey, don't make fun of me for making, like, an honest living. Yeah. It's respectable. Like, what is wrong with that? And I think that, I mean, you know, that takes a lot of maturity and space from people who think otherwise and space from people... I mean, growing up here, there's so much... Like, I didn't there's play so music. much ego too. There's so much ego and judgment, and for years I didn't tell people here that I was playing for music, and then for a while I just didn't play music because people would go like, "Oh, you're a drummer. Oh, and you're not in a band that's signed. What's the point?" It's and like, I was why? like, "And you're like, I, I genuinely enjoy music." Yeah, like it took me years to go like, "Oh, you can enjoy something and not make it your whole." Or you can enjoy something and be pursuing it, and like it's okay to be in that place of pursuing it. Yeah, and, and not like not... already yeah. a household name, like. Yeah, no, we're not all Def Leppard. That's a bad example. But, um, I mean, I love Def Leppard, but you're a drummer and isn't that the one with one arm? It doesn't matter. Um, so then, so from there, you had, you did those showcases. And then I know that for a while you had, like, a like a job that you were, you know, you had, yeah. like, a normal job. I, like, saved up and I basically just, like, moved to L.A. and was like, I'm going to make it. Right. Um, yeah, so for two and a half years I had a full-time job out here. 
day job. So I had to be there at 7 a.m. I'd go to work till 3.30. I would leave, go to open mics immediately. Um, for, and, like, I'd do, like, three or four open mics a night. And then I'd hang out at the comedy store afterwards. Three or four open mics a night? Yeah, I'd, like, hustle all over town. That's insane. Yeah. And I would do it every night. Like, well, when people are like, how many times are you getting up? And it's, well, that's the thing about comedy is that, like, yes, there are knowing people. There's ways to, like, get in. You get a leg up. You get noticed for something specific. But also, what I like about comedy is that, at least in my experience, if you are, you know, decently talented and you work hard, I, like... As much as it would be nice for someone to just flop out and be like, hey, we want to put you on every television show ever and give you a bunch of money. That's great. But, like, I have proved to myself, and then I didn't really think about it till when I got past the store, another comedian pointed it out to me. He actually sent me, like, a very nice email. Um, but, the, like, you can work hard and make it. Like, if you – it's a thing where, like, I don't know. There, I, I get that in – probably a lot of industries it's hard to like or it's easy to get discouraged if things aren't immediately coming like from the I'll just keep my head down and I'll work hard but that's what I've always done and it's working out for me like it's I'm still growing everything's still getting bigger I'm definitely not you know huge in comedy but I'm making my money from it and I'm like oh I did all that from just working hard which is interesting too when sometimes comedians who have been doing it as long as me or like a little bit newer so comedians sometimes will just want to like quote pick my brain Mm -hmm. and I think that they think I'm gonna give them some sort of magic pill answer you know like jack and the beanstalk and I'm like no I I'm a workaholic I work my ass off like I I have everything because I've worked hard not you know and and like as your friend I'm fully aware that you're also like you like keep a low overhead like you're money conscious like yes it's just, like yeah like, I'm full like when I go like yeah I make all my money doing stand-up it's like yeah I also don't live in a two thousand dollar a month apartment right I, it's like I keep a low overhead because I would rather it's like yeah eventually do I want maybe a bigger nicer place yeah probably someday but I'm like I would rather have a low overhead and be able to dedicate all my time to stand-up because if my bills were a little bit higher I probably would still have a day job like right. I'm not kidding myself or yeah. I would have to just hustle way harder and then because of the day job I wouldn't have the time to do you it. You have to stop drinking coffee. Yeah. <sighs> I mean what a nightmare. <laughs> but I make enough money and I keep everything all my costs low enough that I can dedicate all my time to working on the thing I love yeah. which is comedy. So how how do you decide when something is like ready for do you test things out on smaller audiences before you do bigger audiences like how do you do you just throw mix new material into like a older set that you know is going to kill it and then like bring up something new bring up something new yeah I do that a lot the comedy store I'm very lucky to have that because the late night sets it just feels so loose that it's sort of anything goes so much like open mics where it's like yeah I don't open mic you can just throw shit at the wall and see what works but sometimes it's easy to like when I would do three and four open mics a night, it's easy to get in your head about the fact that you're seeing the same comedians. And it's like, at the end of the day, like, they're all doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. They're all working on their stuff. You can't worry about what... I'm like, oh, these comedians are going to be like, is she, she's just doing the same bit she's been doing, but you know there's a small tweak. Right. You're just trying a different punchline or a different something, but you get like, oh, are they going to be like, oh, she's just doing the same... It's easy to, like, criticize yourself and worry about what other people are thinking, but you just yeah. kind of got to... Someone once said to me... It was in reference to, like, career successes, but, like this phrase eyes on your own paper yeah which has been immensely helpful it's like don't worry about what everyone else is doing or thinking yeah like just do your work 
Yeah. You know that you're working on something. You don't have to be like, I, I'm not going to an open mic to work out a worked out set unless like maybe it's for a specific showcase and I just want to like repeat it over and over so I don't fuck it up if it's something I'm have tweaked and I'm unfamiliar with the flow or whatever. But yeah, for new stuff, a lot of times, um, especially if you're doing something dark or like mm. more personal, it can be kind of like, oh, if this doesn't go well, it's going to fucking hurt. So yeah. I'll, and I, th- I don't think this is unique to me. A lot of comedians will do this. I mean, sometimes I just go balls to the wall and go out and I'm like, I'm just going to fucking try it and see what happens if I feel super confident about it. Um, but most of the time it's like, I'll do something that I know works, quick joke or whatever to get people on board with who I am. Right. And then you squeeze it in the middle. And that way, if it goes well, you're like, great, I can develop it. I can keep working. You can keep working out whatever you're trying to work on it. But if they're just not into it, mm-hmm. you can pull back and go, let me go into something that works or you can... Mm-hmm. just fucking lean in and be like, well, I'm going to keep talking about all these things I want to get through and see if any of them stick. Yeah. Any of these punchlines or tags resonate with you. I don't know. And then how do you get paid? Like, how do you know how much you're getting paid? How do you figure that out? Like, oh, at the it's, beginning? At the, the beginning, you don't. Like, if you're like, I'm going to be in comedy and you think you're going to like, I'm going to get into it for the money. Just don't. You're not going to make money at all. Uh, probably the first few years. But it varies from... Situation to situation. Some, like, clubs, if you're doing showcase spots, have um, flat fees for, like, every comedian makes this amount. Uh Um, Some, like, this is in L.A. for, like, showcase-style clubs. Like, the comedy store, if you're doing a set in the original room, it's a flat fee. Uh No matter who you are, no matter how famous you are, you get the same amount. Really? Yes. And that is $20 in the original room, which I could go on about how the fact that it's, like, they're sold out every night. It used to be 15 and now they're like, well, we're giving you 20 And it's like, well... Come the fuck on. But in the main room, they split the door with the lineup. So it's like okay. everyone gets a percentage. So you're making like a minimum a couple hundred bucks depending right. on. And since they usually sell out, it's it's interesting because they're not selling out because I'm on the lineup. You know what I mean? I know right. that. I'm not delusional. But if I'm on the end of a lineup with Joe Rogan and it sells out, because people came to see Joe Rogan, I am now making... $400 for a 15-minute set. Right. Um, Which I want to, like, stop right there a little bit because I imagine that there's some people doing the math and going, like, oh, my God, that's so much money for 15 minutes of your time. At the same time, like, the hours of time and, like, years of time of your life that it's taken to, like, hone that 15-minute set. Yes. Because... And to just get that opportunity to, like... You know, you don't just get to go, I would like to do 15 minutes. And, like, sure, we'll get up there and we'll give anybody this amount of money. Right. And don't get me wrong, especially for a club showcase set, that is a great amount of money for 15 minutes. Right. Relative to other clubs where you do the same amount, et cetera, et cetera. Like, that's... And that could, honestly... I mean, that could... If you think about it, it is reasonable that sometimes that is, like you might have two of those or one of those a week and yeah. maybe you only made $400 that week. That week, exactly. So it's very fluctuating. Right. And then, uh, yeah, and it's like the years that go into even being afforded that opportunity. Like, it took me six years to get past to the comedy store and that's a very small amount. Like, it's harder now than ever to get past to the comedy store. Um, what does that mean? Well, about three or four years ago, they switched talent coordinators. The original one got fired. And um, he liked me, but he had this vibe of very much like, who's funny, but like, who's cool? He cared uh, who was hanging out. He wanted 
more than just like whether or not you were funny and capable, he's like, what do the a other scene. paid regulars think of you? And the club honestly was failing. It's like he's putting up all these like young people. It's like he was trying to cast a cool movie in his mind. And don't get me wrong, like a lot of those comedians are my friends. They're funny, but it's like no one gives a fuck about this person they've never heard of. They're not right. coming out for like this young name on a marquee. They like I don't know who the fuck that is. Um, so when they switched, a lot more. Because uh, there were a lot of comedians that just didn't like that guy. They didn't work with him because he was very weird and had his own, quote, methods. But when Adam took over, he had been a general manager. And now, and then they moved him to talent coordinator. And he was already a fan of my stuff because I was doing development spots at the comedy store, which is where they, they put, like, quote, it's called development. But they put unpaid comics up on, like, other shows in the mm-hmm. belly room and stuff. It's just a place to work out, whatever. And it's, you're kind of in the system to theoretically eventually showcase to become a paid regular. But um, he was already a fan of mine. He'd seen me go up, and there was just, like, this small group of people who he was already a fan of that weren't, uh, you know, like, didn't have a big, like, TV show, huge credit. Right. That, like, sort of were still on on his mind. So Adam, in my opinion, he's never, I've never asked him this directly. It's the vibe I get just based on the whole vibe there. Uh, I love him, and I think he has great taste. I think the lineups he's made have greatly impacted the store it's like sold out almost every night i mean that's awesome joe rogan didn't come back until adam was uh in charge and like there's so many comedians that have come back and they're it's just great it's like a cool place mm-hmm. um and he uh there were a couple people who were in the development system who were who were paid regulars mm-hmm. that he straight up was like yeah i'm probably not gonna give you that many spots because i don't you're not my taste which is a thing you have to realize with comedy club bookers which i've gotten it's helped me grow as a person to go like, oh, if this room, if this club doesn't want to book me, I don't need to beat myself up or try to be like, well, how can I make myself right book up like presentable to them? Because I did that for the first few years, and I think a lot of comedians do this. That you get in your head about like, well, what does quote the industry want? And then instead of doing your comedy, you're like trying to become this thing that you think they want, and that's yeah. not good for anybody. No, in any field of creative endeavors. Yeah. Period. But. As far as I can tell, like, Adam's very friendly. He's very fun. In terms of people getting passed to be a paid regular, he does not give a fuck if you're hanging out. He's like, are you funny? Which is awesome. Which is great. Because that the whole hanging out thing, I've seen it in music and across just different kind of, like, areas of, like, things that are cool in LA where it's like, well, I can't believe you came and then didn't stay for whatever. How yeah. rude. And it's like... Yeah, my time is my work time. on it's like my time is valuable i'm gonna work on yeah my stuff and like obviously i want to support other people that's yeah. not the issue the issue is that like maybe i can't spend I all sleep. night yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like i can't sacrifice my health because you want yeah. me to see your 15 minutes yeah or whatever and it's like i really love that because eyes on your own paper yes well <laughs> and it's like so many people i think are worried about and maybe it's because I live in this L.A. vacuum, but it seems like people are want to book people or are concerned about things that have nothing to do with whether they're funny. It's like, do you, are you uh, PC enough for this? Which is like, there's a whole place for that. And it's like, uh, and you know, like, diversity among lineups is so important. But when someone's booking their lineup by going like, I don't think you're being a better person by by going, make sure we have this many black people and this many women. And it's like, Right. Yeah, okay, well, if you're just, if you know that many comedians, you're organically trying to have a diverse lineup in terms of types of material, life experiences, viewpoints, I I would assume that would happen more organically. 
It's like you have to compensate for it a little and make sure you're like taking a look at these lineups. And Luisa Diaz, who's a uh, producer in New York, did a whole thread about it on Twitter. Like she kept tabs of her lineups and she's like, here's where I could have been better and here's where like I wish these numbers would have been higher. But like there was a difference between organically making sure you have a diverse lineup and just checking a box. Booking women for the sake of booking women. Yeah. Go fuck yourself. And the amount of women I've seen on Twitter and I've left multiple Facebook groups of all women uh, as soon as people go, because like, also maybe I just have some sort of territorial like place in my heart for the comedy store, but like mm-hmm. it's been so good to me. At no point have I been made to feel, and my experience is not everyone's, and I get the like comedy is a creepy place and there are degenerates, and it's like, yeah, okay, I can believe that you've been sexually harassed or whatever, and like that's fucking terrible and it shouldn't happen. But like when, when women go, oh, the comedy store hates women, it's like the comedy store loves women. Adam gives me so many spots that like in terms of, credits like if you want to like break down like what I've done on television like he could give those spots to way more people that are gonna draw bigger but the whole point of what I was saying is that like in terms of like the hanging out thing he doesn't give a shit if you hang out you have to be funny but it's also like he has to see you he has to know who you are like when women who are not huge in comedy complain about Oh, the comedy store won't book me. Yeah, or like, oh, I see that you haven't booked women. I've seen people reply to, I retweeted something once, and it was like me on a lineup, and a girl who I think is very funny on Twitter. I think she's a comedian. I'm not saying this dismissively. I've never seen her on a lineup. I don't know what her performances are like. Great writer. Mm -hmm. I love her tweets. She responded, and I didn't even say anything because I just was like, I don't have the energy to go down this rabbit hole. But she's like, oh, it's nice to see them finally booking women. And it's like, you don't get to complain about there not being women at a club that you as a woman have not gone to. Yeah. Like, no one is... Lo- like, people want women. They're not leaving the and, a sold-out comedy club to come find you. And if you're... I mean, I think this also comes back to what we were talking earlier about where we're like, wow, if dialysis is such an issue, why aren't they, like, you know, working to get nutrition and stuff with diabetes earlier on? And, like, yeah, maybe the issue... Like, sure, maybe you feel like there's not enough women at the comedy store. And then perhaps let's focus on the issue of, like, why women aren't feeling comfortable staying in Going, yeah. And, like, why, like, let's make, like, these smaller clubs more comfortable for women and more approachable and let women know that they're invited because there are places that I've been that it's all male, but I feel super welcome. Yeah. And it has, and I've never felt uncomfortable at all. Like, I was, I've been, yesterday, actually, I went to this thing, um, uh, oh man, I'm gonna pull. I'm gonna rudely pull up my phone to get the name of the store because my friend took me to this event um, at uh, a shop called Rostein. Um, I think is how it's pronounced. I think it's called Rostein. Um, at any rate, like it's like this tasted beats thing, and it's these producers, and it was great, and I really loved it. And I looked around because I've gone to a lot of things like that before, especially in the hip hop world, and and. Sometimes it's been, like, a little bit stern where I'm like, oh, I feel like I'm not allowed to smile or laugh ever because everyone here is super serious. Like, yeah. Like, we're both big Immortal Technique, fa- technique fans. And, like, oh, when I've I been to, him. like, like that vibe of, like, uh, Everyone's events, so intense. Everybody's so intense. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, I know. I've been, and I'm, like, the only one wearing colorful outfits. And I'm like, hey, everybody. <laughs> but I was there, and it was, like, such a lovely vibe. And it took me a second to be like, oh, this is the first one I've been to where there's also women in attendance, and this is lovely. And, like, a few girls, they had, like, um, like a showcase section where it was, like, open mic for, you know, like, if you want to, like, freestyle or whatever. Oh, that's and cool. a few girls went on, and it was so awesome to be in an environment where, like, 
everybody actually in fact all the girls that were on killed it there were like a few guys that like weren't that good yeah still everybody who was running the show even if somebody wasn't good was like hey let's give them a hand and like supported supportive the yeah, they yeah. Went on there and like let's make that across comedy music whatever in those early stages more comfortable for women so that so, they feel comfortable going out they feel, yes. i agree with that 100 percent, a thousand percent i've even told women who have voiced it to me personally oh i just don't feel comfortable there because i will say I get that comedy store can have like a clicky vibe and because of the, what is the word I'm looking for? The ratio of men to women, I could get how you could go, oh, it's because I'm a woman I feel this way. And I'm like, no, I think it's just a very like, fratty is a shitty word to be like, it's not women. And then you go, it's fratty. But like, but it is cl- it's I a mean, club. Yeah. But like, and comedy is quote, a boys club and that is not untrue. But I don't think it, if you really were to examine what's going on, you're, the exclusionary feeling is because you're a girl. It's like, it's a... It's like you just don't here know specifically, here. it's just like, yeah, there's, it's just like family bond. And once they know you, you're, they're not like, oh, a woman. Right. They're just, in my opinion, happen I mean, granted, to be more men right yeah, now than women. Totally. And granted, there are places like that where it is like that, where you are treated specifically a certain way because you're a woman. And it's like the, ah, but are you... Can you like, of course. And I don't think people are doing that with comedy anymore, but I do also get that, like, maybe, there's other reasons. And yeah. it's not, that's my experience. And I can't... Yeah voice for everyone and it's like and if you feel like uncomfortable and you feel like it's because you're a woman then that fucking sucks and that shouldn't happen uh and i i've told multiple women uh that i know or like when it's come up in conversation a female comics i'm like if you ever want to come if you see i'm on a lineup come hang out i'll show you around i'll introduce you to people like it's not bad i get it's intimidating right but like I don't want you not going there because you feel uncomfortable, because you feel unsafe. Or just out of place. Even. Yeah, and like, then I... it's not a safety thing, because there are times where it's like, oh, I'm not worried about my safety, period. Like, I'm not. Yeah. But I just feel a different way about it. Like, well, it's, it's just uncomfortable. And sometimes I realize it's just in my head. Like, there's... What well, is? It's yeah. like social anxiety. I mean, it's, it's the same to me as going to a party where you know one person, and then that person wanders off. You're like, oh, I'm alone. It's not like, I'm not having fun at this party because I'm a woman. It's <laughs> right? like, no... It's just uncomfortable. And yeah, as a woman, we have to constantly feel unsafe, which is shitty. But I'm like, in the defense of comedy clubs, you're going to feel unsafe at a Walmart. Like, what do you... Like, yeah. That's sort of on society. That's a whole thing we need to have work on. Have you been to a mechanic? Right? And you're just like, I don't know. Take my money. Yeah. Fuck. Definitely. So then, hmm. I'm trying to think. Like, what other things that I've thought are really fascinating? Because obviously like watching you develop Sorry, material derailed like, so much no you haven't no no it's good i think it's like all really important things to talk about and maybe let's jump into the fringe okay um and your preparation for that because i think anyone who is considering that or is hearing of it like as a performer that that you know especially since it was your first one i feel like it's still fresh in your mind yes um can you explain because i have done such a terrible job of explaining what the fringe is because <laughs> i didn't actually look it up before committing to go with you i mean it's a whole thing right and i was like oh that sounds great sure i'll go i would love to help however and then i can't remember i think i said something to somebody and they were like that's a really big deal and i was like i didn't even i mean like i knew it was a big deal but yeah i think i mean this is more a reflection of my self-worth and this is a huge thing i have to work on is accepting and like being confident with where i am with my abilities because I, I still am shocked. And it happens fairly frequently with shows now that at least a few people are there to see me. They're like, I listen to your podcast. I heard you on this podcast. I know you from such and such. Just little things. Or they follow me on Instagram. Or they're a fan of so-and-so and they saw them talk about me. 
I am still shocked that anyone comes for me, like, specifically. Like, I can't wrap my head around the fact that, like, it's a, it's 100% a self-worth thing. So I, I dismissively said to someone who, I, who was, like, a theater actress, I was like, yeah, I got in the fringe, but I feel like, you know, doesn't everybody get in the fringe? And she's like, no, I wanted to go to the fringe for years. Oh, I've God. never gotten in, and I was like, oh. Okay. Like, I was like... Oh, I'm an asshole because I wasn't trying to be dismissive. I just, it, it was a 100% self-worth that I'm like, of, oh, well, if they've accepted me. They would take any old They person. would take anybody. And it's like, no. I mean, and there's also, like, hundreds of people on it. So yeah. I could see why you'd feel that way because if you've never been super, if it was never something that you were super into and you're unfamiliar with it, you're like, oh, this many people made it, surely they cast a wide net. Yeah, well, it's even like, I'm part of a lot of things that are objectively exclusionary and picky, like the comedy store itself, or I've been invited to comedy festivals where it's like, they don't, it's a very small group of people they've selected, and I still go like, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm here on a fluke. And it's like, no, you're, you're, you are capable at the thing you do. You're good, accept that. Um, oh, but the Fringe, Edinburgh is like, a month long. First of all, there's fringe festivals all over the world. Some of them just last, last a week, a weekend. Oh, I didn't know. So I knew the, about the one in Adelaide. But yeah, I did Adelaide. Not know that um, there were ones all around the world. Yeah, there's um, a pretty big one. There's none, I think, in the States that are known hugely. Orlando does a pretty big one. And there's little pop up ones. Like New York has a fringe. It's like a weekend long. But the goal of it, can you explain, like, kind of what the theme, like, goal theme I mean, kind of concept it, it is? depends. I guess goals are individual based on the performer, no, I mean, like, but it's of, like... of the festival. Yeah, okay. Well... You know, because it's... I feel like it's inherent in the name by saying that, like, it's stuff on fringe. the fringe. It's, like, on the fringe. So it's things that aren't necessarily mainstream. And I think a lot of fringe festivals were started out of, like, we want an avenue to put these things that maybe aren't... I think it's great for people who... I mean, going back to, like, their branding and being able to make yourself one-dimensional and being like, I'm this and that, I think is great for mainstream consumption for... Just dumb network executives that are like, well, if I can't put it in a box, how can I sell it to this production company? And the fringe is great for things that are on the fringe. Well, to me, it's just like, oh, it's more complicated than being able to be like, I'm this one dimensional thing. I'm easily palatable. It's things that are maybe a little bit out there or a little darker or they have a more specific audience. And it's, it's not this easily, you know, digestible necessarily type of theater so it's like what where can we have a place for for a lot of the, that type of art to go for people who are mm-hmm. looking for that kind of art to come see it and so a fringe festival is a way of going like hey here's a bunch of that stuff and it's all over the place and it's right. like a bunch of weird stuff a little something for everybody you don't and have to like lurk la weekly yeah you don't have to like to, find like, these find... hidden basement yeah you know un- it's like taking things that i think are inherently considered maybe underground yeah. and bringing them to a mainstream a location it's like yeah. here you can see all the things that like otherwise would be this obscure yeah only like certain people know about it and it's yeah, like, like basically everyone who's in the production and their friends yeah. would know about it or like if they have a succinct like very specific niche like maybe blogs talk, like that talk about it yeah so then for your this way of going like this is a thing that has an audience but right. the audience doesn't know how to find it Let's give a place where the audience can find it. Yeah, which makes, it's awesome. Like, I think it's a really great kind of, like, mission and goal. And then for yours in particular, so you yeah always do stand-up, and then you specifically 
pitched or applied with like this immersive theater yeah well because i've i'd heard for a few years people talk about the fringe i heard ari talk about like doing his hour at the fringe and a lot of stand-ups do it and like comedy hours there seem to all sort of have this like arc and a message a little bit but i also think it's a great place to work out if you're just working at a stand-up hour you get like 28 days of like repetitive doing your set over and over so you can make all the tweaks you want and hopefully by the end if you're gonna film it for something you're not sick of it but like from the minute I heard about it, I was like, oh, I want to do that eventually. And I want to do something different. I want right. to like, that is the place to get creative, to get a little weird. And challenge yourself. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I love doing stand-up. I want to do stand-up all over the world. And I've been lucky enough to get to do it in a lot of places. But I'm like, if I have the opportunity to go somewhere where something different would be embraced. Because sometimes you have these weird creative ideas and it's almost like, would anyone care about this? Right, and where do I put it? And where do I put Because it's like, I can't do what I did for The Fringe. Uh, like, if people came to see my stand-up, which there were a few people who came because they know my stand-up or they saw me do a small stand-up set, who were like, whoa. Yeah. And, they, and a lot of them ended up, like, giving positive feedback and enjoying it, but they're like, that is not what I expected. Right. So I'm like, where can I put something? Should have read the flyer. Yeah. I'm like, I tried to be very clear. <laughs> Um, so it's an opportunity to like, oh, I want to do something different creatively. I want to sort of flex this muscle in a way that isn't, I mean, it's, I don't want to say it's like a safe space for weird stuff, but Mm -hmm. it is a little bit safer than, it's still so scary and very vulnerable because like the show I did was about a personal experience and I got pretty deep with personal things, but it's sort of this like, okay, if I can get the festival, if I pitch this idea and they're on board, then it's kind of like this green light to go, yeah, we think that this is something that fringe goers would, would find interesting. So then right. you go, okay. Because I think I, because of my own self-worth issues, I need a lot of, hey, that's not as crazy as you think it is. Right. Which I wish I didn't. And I hope within the next few years, my own like work on myself and just enough putting out content and having it be well-received will just reinforce that and I'll be able to just know myself. It's fine. There's an audience for it. But I have moments of, do I seem crazy to the entire planet? Right. And I have this like deep seated fear of being perceived as like just a totally off, off hinge, like crazy person that nobody relates to. But then the more you do things, the more you, you put stuff out there. A lot of times the way it's received, you go, Oh, other people are having these thoughts. Yeah. This is not, I am not alone in this. Mm-hmm. And it's cathartic for you as the artist, but also like it's great to hear that someone's like, I have those thoughts all the time, and it was cool to see someone verbalize them out loud because I thought I was crazy. Right. Which happened a lot with, especially women who came to my show would be like, those are things I think of, and like I always thought that I was the only person having these like breakdowns about like, even like a meditation in general because my show happened to be about meditation. People like beating themselves up over like, fuck, I'm not meditating. Right. And it's like, oh no, we're all doing that. Oh wow, what, what a perspective. Um, God, I've gone all over the place. No, you didn't. You So So it's just sort of this opportunity to take a different creative project. And mine was specifically a one-woman show about a specific experience I had. I went on a 10-day silent meditation. And I went because I was, like, trying to make myself better. I didn't go, like, I'm going to see what this is like and write a show about it, you know? <laughs> I would never do that. Uh, Except for on Sundays when you decide to live your life like a normal person. Yes, when I'm like, aha, life experience Sunday. I'll brunch? Is that what it's called? I'll have a mimosa. And they're like, what? (laughs) You're a robot. Um, I I was like literally spiraling out of my mind. I went through a breakup, which 
breakups are hard in general, but it just triggered all these other things from my past. And like, it was just sort of this tiny straw that broke the camel's back and I was going crazy. And, um, I did a 10 day silent meditation. And then like part of the way through, I was like, cause I had been like, I want to do something creative for fringe. I don't want to force it. I don't want to go if I don't have an idea. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this, this is a thing because it was, it's just this whole emotional roller coaster of you're trapped with your thoughts for 10 days. Yeah. You're not talking to anyone. You it, like, it must be really gnarly, like forced reflection. Oh yeah. Because it's and, like just marinating and everything. Yeah. Which as a stand up, you kind of, I don't want to say like all standups do this. I tend to do that anyway, which is where a lot of my more personal material comes from. Cause if I theoretically, if I think about what I've done on a daily basis, I wake up and I work and I don't stop working until I pass out. But when I look at the output of work, based on the amount of time I'm, quote, working, I'm like, what the fuck am I doing all day? But it does end up being a lot of, like, self-reflection. I'm just thinking about my life, which, fortunately, I beat myself up over because I'm like, I could be more productive. But realistically, it's like, that actually is helping my work. Yeah. Because that feeds into my material. But, I mean working on yourself and doing deep self-reflection I get in the long run how it's helpful and it is definitely helping me grow as a person I also especially after an intense experience like that I get why people would be like yeah no I'm just not gonna take the time to work on myself because that's horrifying yeah because having to like it's easy to go like oh I'm broken because of this and that and like look at your trauma and you know it's great to realize like oh because this happened I'm this way but that much time alone with yourself you also have to like you break down, like, egoistically and go, like, oh, here's where, like, I'm not a great person. And it's, like, because it, it's so much easier to see. That's the, the reason they say, like, people are mirrors of you and you can, like, they're, like, oh, a lot of times the things you hate in people are actually things you hate in yourself. And you go, no, that person's just really fucking annoying, which sometimes is true. Don't get me wrong. You're, like, I would never do that. But, like, that much time alone and examining, like, how did this relationship fail? What went wrong here? Or, like having to accept it like there's nothing you could have done and it doesn't have anything to do with you but like having moments of going like yeah I leaned on that person too much or like here's where I'm I mean I've joked about it I've made tweets from Mike the because I made a, fa- a Twitter account for the show specifically and I had a tweet that's like um financially I'm low maintenance emotionally I'm a terrorist right. and it's like I don't mean I don't go like I'm going to manipulate and like just burden this person with my sadness but like boy do I sometimes and it's like oh yeah that's a I don't know it's trauma comes up I'm telling you like it's until you go through it you go like until you've experienced like a surfacing memory you've suppressed that seems like so far-fetched yeah but to have like a trauma come up that you have forgotten and it's deep in you and you're like oh my god yeah there's literally moments where you're like trying to meditate and then like you get lost in this fucking mental wormhole of some part of your childhood and all of a sudden you're remembering a thing and you're like oh no wonder I'm fucked up that you're like yeah no like people tried to kill me that's great or whatever you know and it's like holy shit that's been buried and then also still trying to like be in stillness because the whole course I did was no I'm just going on about the meditation but it was about learning to have things come up without reacting to them. And so then playing that out, or like pitching that as a show and going, here's an idea for a show. And then having the festival go like, yes, we're accepting you. We want you to do that. And then going, that's not, like, I don't actually have like the show written about it. 
And that is something I wanted to talk about because I think there's, um, when you're applying for that kind of thing, you obviously, like, I would feel like I had to have it done already. And there are different levels. So yeah, a lot of people are pitching finished shows that they've done somewhere else or that they've already worked out and they're like, I'm ready to present this thing. And, and I don't think I'm the only person who's done it this way. Right. Especially given the like manic tendencies of many artistic types. But I was like, ah, this, this is a show. And they're like, yes, we accept it. And I was like, well, it's not like a show I've written. So then I was like, it was interesting for me because um, I wanted to do the festival as a creative endeavor from the first time I heard about it. But I have a very hard time finishing things. I'm a starter. Same. The amount of half-written scripts I have. Oh, the fucking, like, we should do this. We should do that. Let's start a podcast. Let's start a sketch group. And then I just abandon it. And there's no time to go into the issues that I realized that stems from in addition to just being ADHD. But I'm like, oh, there's fucking, I have a fear of rejection. I have like a deep fear of failure. It's like, same. if I half-ass something and you don't like it, I half-assed it. But if I put my whole heart into something and then it doesn't you hate out. it, it's like, you hate m- me, who I am. Why I do you failed. think that I, yeah, I haven't fully ever done anything for that exact reason. And it it's become more and more evident to me over the years. And it's... It's painful, but then it's also still like realizing that is a step, but it's not enough to make you like, now I'll just yeah. do it. But this was like, oh, I have a deadline. Yeah. I've committed to this. And they're like, yes, here's when you need this by, here's when you need that by. And I was like, okay, I'm going to commit to finishing this project, which was very personal. And I was yeah. like, it was the first time I was like. And was such a departure from all of the work that you normally do. Like, because you had to shoot a bunch of stuff because, so in her show, there, like, she's physically there, and there's a few props, but there's a whole video being projected, um, constantly on the wall throughout yeah. the entire thing of like video content that's like both shot, edited, there's some illustration stuff, there's like a bunch of different elements to it, all kind of breaking down, and like characters where she plays like her mom and diff- different people. And it's like just things going on in my brain, and it's like, right, versions of these characters that are like sort of were supposed to be like the voices in my head that you hear that are. Your negative thoughts or, like, where they come from. And memory portrayals and stuff like that. And so to go from stand-up, where it's you writing something, working it out on your own. Where I have almost a decade of experience at this point. And it's like, I am confident in my abilities to, like, I am a capable stand-up comedian. I am aware of that. I know enough about myself now to know that, like, I can do the job. Right. But this is, like... I've been in sketches. I like acting. I like silly shit like that. But, like, I have no experience professionally in... Filming, editing, like, and, like, it was all by the seat of my pants on a very tiny budget, and it was, like, the amount of favors I called in, and, like... And faith that you had to have in people for those favors. Which is also a huge departure from... I mean, part of the reason I do stand-up, which is a thing I realized about myself, is, that like, yes, for me to keep working, somebody has to book me. You know, it's, like, I can do so much about, like, the bar, the club, the theater I'm going to has to go, yes, we will allow you to do your show. Right. But it's relatively like I'm relying on myself. Having someone to answer to is gives me such anxiety that I'm like, oh, yeah, I, part of this is that, like, all I have to do is answer to me and I'm not crippled by... Yeah. By somebody else, like, not delivering what they said they would or maybe they're waiting on you. Yeah, I do, it's like, I was like, oh, it made me realize how much I don't like to rely on people and having to go... For not even having to rely on people, the act of having to, like, it shouldn't be that hard. And I think for a lot of, like, well-adjusted people who grew up in a supporting household, it's it sounds so far-fetched. But, like, having to ask anyone for help, the things I have... I don't think it sounds far-fetched to women. Because I think 
Because all of us are so used to... Pull up your bootstraps. I'll do it myself. And not just that, but all the strings attached when men are, like, willing to help us with stuff. You're like, oh, do you think that by helping me, you think I'm gonna, you know... Sleep with you. You might get fucked. Whatever. Like, there's so many things that always... I'm always like, no, I'll do it myself. Because I'm like, I don't need to be beholden to you and your expectations. And for you to hold that above my head. Yeah. And even if you don't, I'll feel that way. I, I mean, I have that. I have that for sure. I have... Um... And it's, I think, part of just 100% social conditioning. I think childhood experiences, trauma, or how I was raised, whatever. And the fear of failure. Because when you, when you incorporate other people into a project, then you're like, oh, Relying shit, now on, I have to finish this. Yeah, now, that's the thing, too, is that it's like, and the amount of times I wanted to quit, and I'm like, if I quit, these people are like, you've just wasted my fucking time. Right. I spent, I helped you, whatever. That also helped drive me, but, like, when I tell you, like, the anxiety I have for asking for a little bit of help. It wasn't until two years ago I started even asking people for spots on shows. I would just get what came to me and say nothing because I, like, I have friends who are close friends. They are commercially successful. They're on TV shows. And there are things that, like, I want to say, not even arguably, like, without a doubt, if I were to go, hey, will you, I, you know, have this submission for whatever show you're on. I have multiple friends on TV shows. Humble brag, whatever. But, like, Especially, like, they're taking writers. Will you personally get this thing I've worked on to the right person so I have the best chances? Not even, and I would I would personally never ask, hey, can you? No, yeah. But, like, certainly not. it is not, they are close enough friends that were the shoe on the other foot. It would not be crazy. I would not think anything, I would not bat an eye if they were like, hey, can you just make sure that this gets seen by the, I'd be like, 100%, of course. Yeah. The amount of times I've had something written, something prepared, and, been like I should just ask this person and I don't I just like I'm like I'm just gonna submit the normal way I'm not gonna so it just probably goes into a pile they they don't even know I'm submitting because I'm like I'll start to craft a text message and I like shut down I'm like I cannot ask for help so I get the same way just having to go I I cannot do this alone I need help and the act of having to go hey will you help me with this idea because it's like a asking for help is hard b now i'm telling this person i'm asking who i'm asking people who obviously i uh, respect their artistic opinion i believe in their capabilities and now i'm going it's sort of going like do you believe in me enough to help me because it's like yeah they don't want to waste their time it's like i don't really have a budget and you don't want to put anybody on the spot like i never want to make anybody and it, it and asking those questions to me also it's it's something where I never want to make anybody feel like they've been put in a corner or whatever. Yeah. Like, it's really, it's really, really hard. And what's crazy to me, and I find it so... It's also hard because I, I want to make sure that person knows that I'm not that person who's always asking for something. Because there's people who ask things of me that I'm like, that's... I can't... Like, I'm shocked you had the guts to ask it. Like, I'm not upset at all. Yeah, I'd be like, wow. But there's been people that have been, like, you know, especially because mostly everything that's, like, a favor is normally people are asking, like, me to give them a favor of something that's already a favor to me. So it's like, oh, you're getting to go to this or whatever. Can you get a plus one? And I'm like, I would never ask somebody that. Yeah. Like, 
and it's you know maybe it's just their like lack of familiarity with like the entertainment world yeah or, like, or they whatever. just like so flippantly like don't understand or they just don't care and they're like hey i ask and sometimes it's like you don't or they get, just have the like yeah you know all they can say is no you, wayne gretzky you'll miss 100 percent. it's like and you know what sometimes sometimes like oh, i can't believe they'd ask that but then it's also like good for you for having yeah. the, part of me is like the balls i wish i had the it. balls to be like hey can i come <laughs> yeah because i won't like even I was, where was I? Oh, it was just with you when I got here and I was like, oh, you and your friend are getting food. Am I like invited to that or do you just want to go with your friend? And you were like, no, yes, of course you're invited. Of course you can. I'm like, but I would just never want to impose. Like, what yeah. If, what if it was like a catch up or what if it was like a friend that like you guys had to hash out work stuff and then I don't want it, you to be like, oh, this girl's tagging don't along. Say nothing to do with her. Comedy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so. And it was like, there's so many. First of all, I didn't realize the like, uh, how I didn't realize how big of a project it was until I was in the middle of it and I was like oh I'm there were multiple times where I was like I think I'm gonna kill myself like I'm gonna just kill myself because I was so overwhelmed you guess you get emotionally overwhelmed and like that's such a flippant thing to say and I'm sure that's sorry if that's triggering to someone but like I get the same way where I'm like oh hopefully I just get in a car accident and can't go yeah where it's like yeah no the times I've been legit legitimately suicidal by the way and it, it's different for everyone and you know get help whatever but I've never been suicidal in a state of like, I'm so depressed. There's no reason for me to live. And I, obviously a lot of people get like that. And it's very unfortunate. My suicide, literally when I've been legitimately suicidal or when I've been like, I kind of want to kill myself. It's been, it's like a anxiety. Anxiety. It's like a manic. Yeah. I, it's, it's not even that I don't want to live anymore. It's like, I don't know how to shut these feelings off. Right. Which I will say that meditation has helped a lot with Or too. to push through that wall of like, yeah. whatever the anxiousness is, as I'm like, oh, I can't even fathom having this finished to a place that I would feel comfortable with the world seeing it, or I can't even imagine. And I like, was down to the wire. Like, I was yeah. like, this isn't gonna... And it still wasn't. There was still stuff. You were helping me edit at the festival. We oh, changed the sound. I mean, and even, like, it's it's also, like, there was so little budget, and it it's, like, an emotionally exhausting project, which was very deeply about me. So even, like, halfway through, my friend who was, like, helping on all the editing and, like, directing of the film, he sort of, like, lost momentum... Because he's got his own, like, life, A. He's got his own depression to deal with. And then, like, yeah. I started pulling back even more, asking because I felt bad. I could, like, sense right. him being overwhelmed. And there were times where he, like, had to reassure me. And it was just, like, a clusterfuck of... Codependence? Yeah, codependence. Which, by the way, the show is called... Codependent Arising. Yeah, exactly. Which I was, like, the fact that, I mean, Buddy and I, Buddy Hutton, who, uh, he directed all the, like... I don't even say he directed all the film stuff because some of it, it was like me in front of a camera alone when he was gone. But like, he was like helped with the vision of that. He helped with the editing. The structure of it. Yeah. Like, like yeah. literal exec producing. He at the last minute paid an editor. He's like, There's, we just can't get it done by ourselves. And I'm obviously like reimbursing him from that. And like as part of his like whatever, you know, cause it's like, I do have a budget, but it's very small guys. Um, uh, yeah, I was like, the irony that I have leaned on you too much for a project called Codependent Rising. Like, there was a, some point we were just both, and I think it was when he came to Edinburgh, and, like, we just laughed about it, and he was like, he's also so meticulous with his editing and, every, and everything, and his filming, which is why I was like, I want you to help me, I would love for you to help me, I think you're, I, I love the way his brain works, I think he's very creative, and, and then I think we had a conversation about how there was a lapse of like, he didn't feel like he could give as much creative input. And I'm like, I wanted that. Right. Like he took a step, he like purposely stepped back. Cause he's like, it's your thing. And I wanted, you know, you to really like fully lean into trusting your ideas. And I'm like, 
I appreciate that. I wish you would have said that from the beginning because I thought you just hated me halfway through the project. Oh. We had this whole thing. And he's like, why would I? I was like, I thought you were just abandoning me and giving up. And he's like, no, I just knew that. And he said he had like talked to, we're very close friends. He'd talked to his mom about how he's like, he's like, I don't know what to do. I want to do this. I want, you know, it's like, I want to step back. And they had had this conversation about how like, you know, that I would be in the end happier with the project if I was given the freedom. If it felt like yours and ownership and it didn't feel Yeah, like- but then he also had these like resentments of, you know, from the beginning I had all these ideas and then he's like, and then I had to sort of cope with, oh, this isn't really my project. Right. at the beginning he's like, it seemed like I was going to have more into it and then it sort of slipped out of my hands and I, it just made him realize a lot of stuff about, which I think he needed to realize. He's like, I want to be on the creative side of things. It sort which, of made him go, I, which he should be. Which is so, a, like, quick, I guess, like, note about Buddy is that that's how Jessica and I know each other, is that Buddy and I grew up together because our parents dated, and then, like, him and his sisters and I have all stayed close, so I call them my brother and sisters because it's very... It's easier. It's, yeah, it's much easier <laughs> than going, like, oh, our parents dated. Yeah. And mm. so we basically have always known each other. I guess I could just call them my, like, childhood friends, but whatever. Mm. Anyways, and he is really creative and funny and I think you know in the same way that like in the same vein of like what we've been talking about there's just a lot of for a lot of people you know that you're funny and creative and taking that leap and making yourself that vulnerable and putting it out there yeah it's terrifying yeah and then to go like but that's a healthy thing for people to realize when they work on stuff like that's what made me kind of pull away from working on projects with other people all the time and I've honestly even been less social in the last like year yeah because I was like wait I'm putting all this energy into supporting other people and their endeavors because I believe in them and like I believe in myself and I don't put that level of work into yeah that. and I was like glad that he realized that I was like I want you to put the fit and then I mean there was this whole I go on and on about the lapse in communication where I was like I wanted your creativity in it even though it was my yeah thing which and there any there definitely was there's so many elements and I could not have done it without him like I spent multiple nights <laughs> at an editing bay not understanding how to edit and I was like I'm gonna kill myself and like towards the end he's like yeah no editing makes me literally want to kill myself and I was like had I known I was like you just like talk about you know like you're an editor and I just for some reason thought you were like click 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 and it's all fucking easy for you a a breakdown every time yeah and I'm like I can't handle had I known that like my eyes like I'm so sorry like I didn't I didn't know how this felt and I feel like I you know but it was like, thank God it was like a close enough friend. But you're opening up and going, here's this like crazy project where A, it's a fuck ton of work, which I didn't realize. And I think well, he it's had an a hour of video content. Well, yeah, and he had a much uh, better capacity for understanding how much it was going to be, especially right. with how meticulous he is because he like overdoes the shooting. Yeah. Whereas like I would have, which thank God, because I would have flippantly been like, all right, we got it. Next scene. And it's like, which I did, which you can see in a couple of the characters. I was like, yeah, good enough. Um, but, uh, yeah, I had no idea the scope of how big it was just work-wise because of the amount of video. But then also, it's so vulnerable. Yeah. So it's like, it's easy to go like, well, if everyone else thinks it's stupid, and they're going to be like, why am I working on this fucking dumb and, project? And you know, you, like a lot of people, and myself as well, have a thing where like we don't want to be seen as self-indulgent. Yeah, and that's the thing is like I want to share this thing without being like, look at me and my experience. I'm like, I just only
artist riddled with sadness, but I'm like, well, I'm trying to give life to this experience I had. Which is your life. And it is, and it's like, and it's my brain, and there is, it's very much like, I don't like the idea of being like, me, 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 and like, which this project very much has, it's like, here I am, here's my brain, here's how I'm crazy, here's, and it's, so it is hard finding that line, and then like, thank God I was already close enough with Buddy to like, ask him first, and then Madison, I sort of knew, we were like, I would say we were friendly acquaintances, and Dulce mm-hmm. was sort of our, Dulce Sloan was like our friend Link, and she was like, you know, Madison went to theater school, and she's like directed all these shows, she's done a friend before. Oh, and I didn't realize she had done a friend. She before. had done Hollywood Fringe before, she has like production awards for it and stuff. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, and so, and that to me was like, because she's someone I knew sort of distantly, I was like, that was scarier for me to go. Right. Because I, I think she's very funny. I respect her work, and I respect her opinion. And also, I knew that she was someone who would give an opinion, which is very right. important. And it's like, like a qualified opinion. Yes, because it's like, there are a hundred friends. Not a hundred. That's ridiculous. There are... A, there are thousands of people who'd be happy to just give you their opinions. Well, and, and it's like, I could have acted... Valuable. I could have asked several friends to direct the stage movement. Right. And I have very funny friends, but I'm like, it wouldn't have been... I don't think it would have been as objective... Right. I think that most of them, because it would have been comedians, they're funny, but they're not as qualified. Right. And they would have tried to put too much of their voice into it. And Madison was amazing at, like, let's dissect this charactered version of you. Let's bring that to life. I mean, the amount That's of movement amazing. she put on stage, because... Really? Had I done... I mean, had I done it with no director or, like, done my own stage direction, I think it would have just been a movie, and you're like, well, why is this woman sitting here? Which, like... And there was a lot of sitting, but there, she added so much physicality. Uh-huh. The props, the, like... The whole monologue up top, I wouldn't have, like, thought to, like... She really helped me, like, bring out... Because it is about me, but then... That's incredible. I didn't realize, so I knew, because obviously I saw her name on the credits every day. Oh, yeah. And um, and then I met her last night. That stage direction? Like that was... That's a huge contribution. It's huge, because, like, what you see there is based on my real-life experience, and a lot of the stuff you see in the video is very, are very real, like, thoughts, but, like... It is a characterized version of myself. This woman you're seeing, I I make her a little bit bigger than I was. I mean, like, I wasn't, I'm not going to go into, like, full detail, I guess, but it's, like, I wasn't, like, outwardly losing my mind toward, like, the people I met at the, at the meditation. At the meditation. Yeah. It wasn't all, it wasn't all about this one guy, but it was, like, how can we, like, she helped, helped it have, like, an arc. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of her contributions ended up bleeding over into how I changed the video or how I, like... Interesting. ...spiked the video. And so, like... And and that was scary because, like, this is a very raw thing. And I'm going to this woman who, like, I respect. Um, I value her opinion. And, like, I don't know her that well. And it's, like, for all I know, especially being an insecure person with low self-worth, is, like, for all I know, she's, like, what is this fucking idiot doing? And having someone whose opinion I respect and she's, like, this is, this is great. And having her, like, help me build it and, like, seeing, like, her be proud of the product... Then we energized me, and it's just like, and then there were a few other people calling in, like editors, and like. So then, so can you just run me down real quick, like the the different like positions that worked on it, right? Because you had that whole cast. Because I think it's important for people to know that what for goes what into you it. Did. Yeah, because you see me up there, and it's like if you wait for the credits, you go, like, oh, there are other people involved, but it's like, right? It looks like, for all you know, I just like threw some clips together, and now I'm up there just moving along with them. Um, I had, Buddy was exact producer and the director of the film, so he 
oversaw all the film stuff. There's like a bunch of me monologuing. You see all these characters and like crazy moments. There's flashbacks. And um, so he oversaw all of that and helped with the vision for the arc of that and like where we're going to put these things and like how we build to this, to me, like starting to go crazy at this meditation because you have to like start like slow and then like right. build to this like sort of crescendo of I fucking can't handle this. I'm trapped in my own mind. So he helped with that. And then Madison really came in on the stage direction. She was like mm-hmm. director of movement and a producer. So she helped when we did the like live show here. And she was originally supposed to come to Edinburgh. Then because of her work schedule, she couldn't. And mm-hmm. so like she was going to come around the time you came. And it just like you being there just to help. Just fucking, I can't even explain having someone just help me put up the shit. Oh, was like no because well because I also have the mentality of like I can do it myself. I've literally moved myself from homes like probably four or five times. I've packed all my own shit and like refused help and like dragged things down and been like I don't need anyone. <laughs> and it's like oh it's okay to have someone help you. But uh, what's interesting was how cohesively that all came together when we really didn't have that many sessions of the three of us. It was me sort of going back and forth between, like, here's Buddy, Buddy's vision, and how can we make that work with Madison's vision? And then, like, when we did finally, like, get to meet up and, like, work together, it was, like, such an easy ebb and flow That's of awesome. people communicating and, like, being open but also respectful in a way that's, like, everyone's, like, I don't want to step on anyone's toes. Like, let's make sure we're all – and it was a very open format of, like, if someone's not happy, let's – or if someone thinks something's a bad idea, like, it was – it just created this environment where it was okay to go. I think a lot of times uh, people get insecure about the idea of pitching or going, you know, actually, I think maybe we should try this. And it was just this freedom to hear everyone's voice. And I didn't feel like, so I, I usually feel like I'm the type of person to be so insecure that I maybe in, you know, a few years before or like maybe just pre this meditation would have been like, yeah, whatever you guys say. Right. Which is the thing I'm still working on of like, oh, I don't have to ask for an opinion on every single thing. Mm-hmm. Just going, I'm going to do it this way. And then like seeing the feedback versus going like, well, what do you think if I do this or that? Right. Um, so they were huge in it. And then I have animations in it, which um, my roommate, Tony Solano, he's a fucking incredible animator. He they is. look so good. I they mean. really awesome. He, the, I mean, the fact that he isn't like a known household name, like Matt. Gruning, or I don't even know how to say his name, but like Simpsons level, like right. I, I have like a household name, like that name. I don't know. Um, <laughs> like he will be, and I have all the confidence up. But he fucking, I mean, he hooked me up. Like I paid such a low rate for like what I should have paid for those animations, and he got them all. I mean, we were on a rush schedule because I was like, here's out, here's what I need, here's what I need them by. Can you do it? What's the minimum I can pay you because I have no money? And he was. So sweet, so respectful, and, like, just created these incredible pieces. Um, that worked really well. Yeah, so. and when I'm telling you, like, he charged me, like, a tenth of what he should have charged me, like, and and it, I will forever be thankful, and then it's, like, it, it's this ongoing list of people who, like, someday I will be on a project that has the budget right. that I can bring these people in and pay them. I'm because it's, a good a word in. Because I'm never yeah. trying to, like, get one over on anybody, but I was, like, right. What can you do that, like, you're not going to be like, go fuck yourself for even asking this. I was like, what can I, here's my budget. What can we do with it? Because if I had unlimited resources, I would, of course, always want to be like, what 
what is what you deserve? And I'm like, I hated that I couldn't put what everyone deserved into it. It's like, which, I can go fuck myself with money, which is not a good mindset either. But it's like, when people are helping, I'm like, I am so sorry that I can't. Which is honestly what makes you really awesome to do anything for, because there are so many people that I think take a totally different path of, of that conversation. And I think uh, just being in any city where there's like a supply and demand thing, like there is in LA, where yeah. people act like, Oh, I'm giving you the opportunity to be a part of this. You can showcase your editing skills. It's like, fuck you. Yeah. And so it really is one of those things. And because I know that you genuinely mean it, like it's amazing to me how many people I know who have the means, but insist on like calling in favors and saying, it'll be like good for your reel or resume or whatever. Versus how many people I know who are on a budget and will still make an effort to pay creatives. And I think that it, it just makes a huge difference in what it says to me about a person and honestly, like, what their quality of work will probably be based yeah. on, like, their character. I agree. And I, I get very self-conscious about that because of... And maybe it's just a thing I worry about. I, but I don't think it's only in my head. Because of the impact of social media. Yeah. And, like, the perception someone can have of you based on your social media. And, like, uh, I put out an album and it went to number one. And, like, I have... I'm verified on a couple social networks. I have a decent amount of followers. And I get how from the outside, someone could go, she's probably doing very well financially. Right. But it's like, what it takes to get to number one algorithm-wise and like... Well, and how that actually impacts your bottom line, right? Yeah, and it's like, what did I put into this that I'm now being reimbursed before I'm making anything back? And like, it's an absurdly low amount of money and And then well not only reimbursed and then but then also to make money yeah right like reimbursed great you're like covered the project and then also it'd be nice to have like i broke even so speaking of money i think uh because i was at the fringe with you i saw so she had her show every day at 5 15 yes um which to my understanding you had to pay a submission fee yes everyone pays like a fee but that covers for the, I did for free, free French. French. Yeah. So you pay, it's like a couple hundred, I want to say between two and three hundred pounds. You pay that, and then your venue's covered. That's pretty much it. But then the only money that she made on her show is when people came and then donated. Donated, money. yeah. Because, like, as a free French show, you're not allowed to charge. So you just go, like, if you like the show, you have to do, like, a bucket speech, give money. And some people were very generous, but it's also, like, I was in a bumfuck location, so it's like sometimes... She was the, very far out of, like... Sometimes the, the audiences like, were, like, almost empty. Uh, a couple times they were literally empty. Um, God, I wish you could have been there at the end, because I actually built... My last crowd was, like, full, and I was like, this is... It was, like, cool seeing it build awesome. and seeing... The one cool thing I will say about my location, well, and just what it taught me... Not even taught me, but showed me about myself, is that... Uh, I wasn't aware how much I'd grown as a person in a way of like, I think a year ago, two years ago, having those audiences fluctuate like that, I would have like taken it as a personal mark of like my worth. Despite Mm. the fact that there are literally thousands of shows going on, I'm off the map. Like I'm way out in the middle of nowhere. I'm nobody in terms of like fringe names or whatever. But we're in another country. Yes. But I was, like, very calm about it the whole time. Like, this is just how it goes. It's not a reflection of the quality of show. And I will say, everyone who came, specifically because of the location, I can say confidently, like, they they really wanted to come to the show. Yeah. Because you had to walk. 
You had to walk out of your way. Like and 15 or 20 minutes, I think, out of the main. And from what I noticed from some of the ones that were in a more central location is they had a lot of people that were just, like, drunk and wandering in. Yeah. And so, and with that type of show, it doesn't, like, resonate as well. Like, I think that worked for you well. So the other part of this is that then, to obviously, you want to do this anyways, but then Jessica also picked up spots yeah, on other spots. shows throughout, like, the entire festival at which some you got paid for and some you didn't. No, so it's like you're doing your show and you're running to do, like, I mean... If sorry. you do stand-up, right? Like, it's not the same. For someone who's just doing straight theater and doesn't do stand-up, I don't it's think they have an option. It's probably not the same thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but... Sorry, I'm, like, boogery. Um, yeah, I'm rude. Yeah, no, so it's, like... Uh, I, I would say within, like, a week of being there, maybe two weeks, I was averaging, like, two or three spots a night. Mm-hmm. That's not an exaggeration, I think. Yeah, that um, sounds right. And so it's like you're doing your show, you're running around all these things, which most of you're getting paid like maybe a little bit for, or you're splitting a bucket, or you're getting nothing. And like that plus it's like And yeah. you don't know that always. Like for the, we, the request you were getting sometimes you didn't know if you were getting paid or not. Yeah, and it's like um, And you have to have that I... awkward conversation, which I think is also important for people to know to like And there it shouldn't be awkward. That's the thing. That's a little on me and I think on like how we as a culture like deal with money in general but it's like yeah it shouldn't be and I've since then since this festival has made me better about going like what is the rate or like I've gotten to a place where I'm comfortable enough with my abilities and, and this is this is literally brand new with my abilities being enough to get me consistent work that like I can have a bottom line that I don't have to like flex on that I can go right. like it's this much or I'm not coming yeah which like by the way is like so low relative to other comedians but like um, yeah, having to go, like, is there pay? Are you paying me for the work I'm doing? Right. Which, like, in theory, you're like, well, you're still showcasing in front of a crowd. It's like, well, if you're not making money, if there's no money being made, fine. If you're doing a bucket at the end and you're not splitting with the comics, get fucked. Like, are you out of your fucking mind? Right. Absolutely not. You're making money off of me and you're not giving me a little bit? You're making money off just knowing what's funny and putting people there. Which yeah. Which is, like, not... Which is, like... There is a lot there, to be said a about a skill set of like building time. a good lineup, but it's yeah. like you don't get you don't deserve all the money. All the money for other people's work. For all the yeah, it's like you're a producer. Yes, you put the show together. You've assembled it. You sure you're entitled to your cut, yeah because that just takes time and work and effort. Yeah, like and it's like a, a job I would never want to do. It fucking makes me crazy. I respect the fuck out of people who do it, but it's like also pay the artist. But then also in theory, you're going well. I could be like I'm not doing because they're not paying me. But then that's a 300 seat venue that always sells out. Right. Which. Which, I mean... was like, how many people could I get to come to my show that will then translate into, A, fans, people at the show, and then yeah. money. Which is, you know, and I think that that's also a super personal choice and, like, where you're at and stuff. But I think it it's also just good for people to know the decision-making, like, matrix that goes into those and, like, that it is uncomfortable. Like, that there's no uh, hidden, like, pamphlet that someone like didn't give you yeah there's no easy like everyone's just figuring it out as they go right and when you realize that it's kind of comforting because you're like oh no one here is like a secret expert we're all just like flying by the seat of our pants great yeah but it's like you have to buy posters you have to buy flyers i bought way too many based on the recommended amount but also other people have they buy flyers and a lot of people pay flyers flyers, which are like people that hand out flyers like 10 pounds to do like an hour before the show whatever like 10 pounds an hour 15 pounds an hour I ended up not doing that because I don't have foot traffic by my venue. And right. I was like, I don't think it's worth, and, ever, and I'll never know because I didn't do it at all. And also, I was going to do it, and then people fell through. It's a whole thing. But like. I mean, we did do some flyers. We flyer, yeah. But it's like, 
it wasn't worth it to me since my risk of making any money every show was so like unstable to put money in to then see no reward because I was like if I had a venue where people were walking by right because I I was on some shows where people just got flyered and they went in and that's great and I'm like that's the only people outside my venue are drunk people at a bus stop like they're not coming to my show yeah yeah that's true and I mean I think it being earlier in the day too and I don't know the the whole flyering thing to me. I guess it it also takes a specific type of person. You know, like if you're the, yeah, if I'm gonna pay a flyer, I want them to be really good at it. And yeah. a lot of people are not. No, they're just handing flyers out. And on the receiving end of flyers, I've never once maybe one out of every three hundred flyers I've ever received, I've gone, oh yeah, I think I'll go to this. I think I, I didn't go, but I was like, I've thought about it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I've, been, exactly. I've given it like a moment of consideration, and then I'm like, ooh, probably not. Yeah, and so, I mean, I think you made the right choice by not doing that because it, it probably wouldn't have been a good investment. Of, yeah, of but it's like, time. depends on the show, depends on... Yeah. It's a, a choice you have to make. But it's like, the amount of money I spent going there just to even, like, try to break... Well, that's the thing, too, is that I worry because I'm doing well as far as being noticed for my comedy. The show was well-received by the people who saw it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like again with the like keeping a low overhead versus making money but I could see how I get worried that because I have enough of a social media presence and I have enough little just like check mark things of things that have gone well in my career that I could go I don't I don't really have much of a budget but would you be willing to and I could in theory like I worry that the other person's like go fuck yourself like they think I'm secretly sitting on this hidden pile of money that I don't have but it's like that's my own self-conscious thing that I have to just be like look at if they're gonna believe me or not but it's like yeah and you know some people are I mean I just think of the variety of ways I hear people interpret the same message yeah that I'm kind of like yeah well if that's your mentality that's just your mentality and like I can't I know that I'm coming from a good place yeah it's like I can't control you and that's pretty much thing is letting go of like I can't worry that you think that you might think I'm lying about yeah trying to like pull one over when it's like I'm just trying to figure it out yeah it's like I'm just trying to like get this done but also like not get evicted definitely um are there any things that you feel like you wish someone would have told you about the fringe before you did it I saw a couple comics do this. They came over this year for like a week to scout venues, which I thought was interesting. I wish someone would have pitched that idea to me, although I, knowing me, don't know if I would have done it. Like I would, cause I would have been like, well, mostly because of my financial situation. I'd been like, I'm not spending money to see if I want to like, right. to, I don't have, let me go for a week and gallivant at these venues right. and see which one I like. I'm like, no, I have to save that money for when I actually go. Yeah. But I did like that. Um... The flyer thing I didn't know ahead of time. Um, I wish I would have just had more knowledge about it. But, again, I don't know if it would have changed anything. Um, I'm trying to think. I don't know. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. Um, so, where can people find you online? Um, oh, at JMS Comedy. That's all my social media. Yeah. Um, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And then she also has a great podcast. I do. It's called Ignorance is, is Blessed. Ignorance is hashtag blessed. Also, there was a couple more people really quick. Oh, yeah. Sorry. With I No, no, it's okay. Your, I, I, I went on a credits. tangent. But, like, there were two other people who came in and edited last minute. Um, one was a friend of Buddy's who I barely knew. One, at the time, I barely knew. Uh, we're friends now. He's, like, a, like a partner with my uh, roommate who's an animator. They, like, do shit together. 
and I posted a status and he tagged him and he like came and sat with me. Uh, is Eric Friedman? Um, he sat with me for like who's also a comedian. Right? Yeah, he's also a comedian. He sat with me for like three days straight. I barely knew this guy. Um, I like knew him very loosely. briefly, like loosely. Yes, through my roommate. I was in the height of like m- like mania, going like this project's not gonna work. I was like a total breakdown. He's editing these videos of me. I'm having a breakdown while he- I'm having to sit next to him, watching him edit it, edit videos of me having a breakdown. Like, and then I'm having a breakdown about the breakdown. And he was just so kind and like patient, and was just like, it's no big deal. I like gave him a little bit of money, and he was like so happy to do it and so flexible. And I was like, I could not have done it without him. Shola, who uh, I fucking can't remember his last name because it was so last minute I was manic Buddy's friend came in and Buddy was like I'll pay him you can pay me back so it was like a thing where I was like I don't have any I have nothing <laughs> um my ex-boyfriend made a couple graphics for me he made a whole slideshow of dicks uh, oh that's right Connor McSpadden and then what a hero a group of female comedians my friend Dana there was only one other part in the entire thing that was actually somebody else like, that you could see visually, and it was my friend Dana doing basically a character, sort of a character that she already does, but, like, a bunch of female comedians came and sat in to make, like, a meditation background, or, like, just a setting for a couple of the clips. My roommate Jen sat in and just helped feed me lines for some of it. Like, it's just, you see this product, and you're like, wow, a one-woman show, and I don't want to poo-poo on other one-woman shows, because I'm sure there are plenty that are great that were completely one-woman, but, like, this was, like, it takes a village, and it's mostly... Half those people were just... I had people come in when I was filming by myself. Three different comic friends who did nothing except, like, make sure the camera and sound were on, and that was my own neuroses. I could have done it myself. But having them just go, like, great job. This is so funny. I can't wait to see the product. was so immensely helpful that I was like, okay, I'm going to be fine. Anyway. That's yeah. That. No, I think that's, I think that's great, and, like, I think that like, is like, I want to make sure I shout people out. Oh, for sure. No, and I think that speaks volumes to two things. Like, one as when you're doing a creative endeavor, like being, making yourself vulnerable to the right people, not to everybody. You know, I think that a lot of good creative work does get watered down by too many opinions. Yes. But letting the right people in at the, you know, at the the right right moments. Yeah. Um, Also just having my manager, Molly Hurwitz, shout out, but like just having her go like, no, don't quit. (laughs) I was like, I don't know. It's too much. And her going like, I feel like you really care about this project a lot. Maybe that's why you're trying to quit, maybe yeah. you should reconsider that. And I'm right. like, oh, thank God. Yeah. Oh, this is what caring about something feels like. Yeah, having someone go like, it's a like you're good. Like, keep going. Yeah, that is that is awesome. And that that's the other thing is like on the other side of when you know that your friends are working on a project. It's. I mean, of course, the check ins are always awesome of somebody going like, hey, how's it going? Whatever. Um, also, just going like letting people know that you think if you think this, that it's cool and great and positive that they're working on stuff. Um, and I, on that note, I do honestly really recommend for anybody like struggling with that kind of like roller coaster. Um, Aisha Tyler's podcast in general, I don't even think she does it anymore. They're just old episodes that I listen to a lot. I love that. Um, and it's like, it's called Girl on Guy. I went and just paid the like 50 bucks to like get it on the app so I had access to all the episodes. Oh, I love that. And it's been so therapeutic. Like she talks to so many incredible people, but then she's also on Tim Ferriss's podcast and she talks about on that particular episode about like 
the pain in creativity and then working through it and applying that pain to like grow in your creativity. Yeah, because it's easy to stop. It's easy to hit a wall where you're like, this is... Yes. You get... I mean, when you're really pouring like a real life experience into something or like you care about it, you hit walls where you're like, I don't want to do this because it's... This was the first project I think I completed where it was like 100% myself. Like I put out my album. It's all like jokes I wrote. Some of them are very personal. Some of them are just very silly. And I'm very proud of my album. It did very well as far as like iTunes or whatever. And Which I is get, called, sorry. What is oh, it's called Please Don't Leave Me. And I get... It's hysterical. I get good feedback on it. But arguably even some of those jokes were not fully fleshed out. Like they were done enough for the album. But there's still been times where I'm like, I could have added this. I could have added that. And so right. there was a little bit of a safety net in there. And I was kind of like, I want to move past these jokes I've written. Because that's who I was when I wrote them. But I feel like I'm, I've grown into another person. So I don't want to tell them anymore. And it was like a time capsule. But this was a thing where I like poured myself into it. And it's like... yeah. Oh, if people don't like this, I don't know if I can handle that. Well, and that made me realize yeah, a lot about totally opportunities I just haven't taken or really dove in, dove into. Yeah, in other aspects of stand up, where I'm like, oh, I haven't really tried because I'm like, what if I really try and then yeah, yeah, and you then hate me. No, it's it's yeah, I I'm powering through that feeling right now. Yes. Um, so my thank you. My last question, and I'm asking this across guests until I think of a better question or decide this one is annoying, <laughs> is um, what is, like, something, like, kind of a finished product that you would like to know the behind the scenes ever, like, hear from somebody on? Um, my God. I'm trying to think. What do I... Mm. It could be anything. Do you want some inspirational notes of, like, the things that other people have said? Or yes, no. maybe. Okay, so uh, Matt, who is on it, he was, like, behind the scenes of, like, the real life, kind of, like, real deal, like, executive, like, corporate executive, like, that kind of thing. He, like, wanted, wanna, he, that was, like, his thing. And then, Oh, like, what the behind the scenes. Oh, so, like, what is the thing I would like to... Yeah, yeah, for, like, this type of interview. Oh, I was... Of course, that's what you're asking. I was just thinking of <laughs> specific creative projects. So I was going like movies, books. Oh no! And it literally doesn't have anything. to be. It could literally be like the the behind the scenes of how like your toothbrush is made. Oh wow, that's kind of fun. Thanks. Um, oh my gosh, it's like the Cheesecake Factory menu. There's too many options. <laughs> the Cheesecake Factory. No, um, um, and their ads drive me nuts. Ads and menus makes my brain implode. I mean, I think. I would like to know, I mean, I'm, like, morbid. I uh, literally, I was, like, I'd like to know the behind the scenes of, like... A mortician. A mortician, yeah, or, like, a funeral director. I have thought about this deeply and intensely. Because I'm, like, how the fuck did you end up... And, like, when doc... I think about, so, I think a lot about the... Everyone makes mistakes because we're all humans. And, like, the mistakes that you make if you're not... If you're having an off day as a funeral home director... yeah. Ugh. Can like like traumatize people. <laughs> I, I say, mean, like doctors. I thought you were saying could ruin a life. Like, could ruin a death. How do you 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 ruined a death? <laughs> like when doctors make mistakes. Like when I hear about a doctor like sewing up a rag in somebody. But or the whatever. fact that it's always like called like it's it's a practice, and I was like, that's horrifying. But I kind of like that because it's like in theory, most of what we're doing, like we all had this idea that we'd grow up, become an adult, and just suddenly know. Yeah. And the more you realize that, like, even the people who seem confident, they're just better at faking it. Like, yeah. for the most part. And we only believe that they're good at things because they seem confident. Like, you have to, like, dedicate all your time to one specific thing and, like, 
almost like robotically shut off to ever really be an expert. Yeah. You know what I mean? But and to keep growing in that. Like you yeah, it's so is mortician really your answer? Yeah, That's or fine. like funeral That's director. Funeral home director. It's like Yeah. Oh, that would be yeah. Eternal Valley's not too far from here. That's interesting. Yeah. No, it's, I would love that. And it's like now I want to do my own interview on it too. You but. can. Yeah, or like, can we, we cross interview somebody? Like, it's a. You know what I really wanted to do, <laughs> like but like, I couldn't. I just didn't have the time to set it up. Not that they would have gone for it, but like, there was a specific hospital in Zurich. Mm-hmm. I forget the name of the company. Dignitas. Okay. And they are a company. They're oh, dedicated the to choice. assisted suicide. Yeah. And I think, I think about that constantly because the nobody wants to talk about it because they're like you who, can't. What do you mean who doesn't want? I I think it's. I mean, yeah, but I feel like people go like. You know, there's, like, the whole, like, American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, which I've given a ton of money to, and then I have moments where I'm like, what is this really for? A number that, like, a person who's suicidal is going to be like, I'm not calling your fucking number. Like, if you want to not kill yourself, in theory, it's like, but you also know about those resources. And we, it's like, putting stuff out there to, I'm I'm still an advocate for it, 100%, but, like, the amount of guilt people, friends of suicide victims feel when it's like, I've hit a place with enough friends who have died of suicide where I go, like, yeah, it sucks, but you kind of have to go, like, there is very, it's very unlikely there's something you could have done. I mean, I have it yeah. in a bit where I'm I like, mean, when people yeah. are like, if only I had said something, it's like, wow, how confident. I mean, it's true. I There are some people that I have had to, that, you know, have committed suicide in my life who yeah. I care about deeply that I've had to go, like, you know what, I think. You have to let go of that. And, and go, like, you know what, with them it was a matter of when. Yeah. And just knowing those people deeply and knowing that it had been on their mind for a long time and it was something they'd battled with for, like, a decade that I'm kind of like, yeah, there's nothing. Like, if you set your mind to something, well, whatever yeah. that is. <laughs> whatever it may if you like, can, you can If you can dream it, you can achieve it. But, like, well, yeah, and the amount of people who go, like, suicide is selfish. And you go, like, well, have you ever been suicidal? Because it's pretty selfish of you to be, like, how dare you want to not feel that way? Right, yeah. Well, and especially if you're at the end of your own life. No, I think that that's a really yeah. awesome one. Well, yeah. And Race you to it. Well, I mean, fuck. I'm closer well, to Oregon. It's so fascinating because it's, it's like, yeah. Well, because there's this whole concept of like, oh, if you're old enough or you're terminally ill. It's like, well, why is that person of sound enough mind? Why is it that if I'm 90 years old, you think I'm now fit to decide whether or not it is okay for me to keep living? But if I'm. But that also says. But if I'm 30 and I'm like, why just feel like I don't want to live anymore you're like but you're it's it's like where I would just love to talk to them because they do such a thorough process of are is this actually you're not reacting it's like well how do you I'm curious how they determine what age and like all the factors that go into even starting that process that's a really it's like why are you the authority on whether or not I should be the authority on whether or not my life should keep going godspeed to us both trying to find an outgoing person and in funeral home directory. Yeah, that it's like, and like also it's like, who death. has a, yeah, assistant most of those people probably don't have good interview personalities. <laughs> but maybe that's an unfair assumption. If you're listening and you know someone, send them our way. Yes, please. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you so much for being on. Thanks I really for appreciate me. it. Um, and thanks for listening. Yay. Thanks again for listening to BTS podcast. Uh, please share this with the people that you know who may like this podcast it would be really appreciated use hashtag bts podcast if you're sharing it on social i would appreciate the support listen to jessica podcast it is awesome it's called ignorance is hashtag blessed she's super funny and has on a variety of guests typically comedians with a variety of backgrounds they're all really really great i have a blast listening to her podcast i was lucky enough to be a guest on it uh quite some time ago now 
The episode is called How to Be a Social Media Millennialier, I think is what she called it. It was a really good time. So go ahead and give that a listen. Follow her. Go see her live sometime. She's incredible. Her physical comedy is just out of this world. She's really, really great. Other ways you can support this podcast are by subscribing to my newsletter. It's called Ask a Millennial. It's basically exactly what it sounds like. It is me, a millennial, answering questions, sharing creative highlights, sharing different marketing successes and reports that I've dug into. I do social media strategy for companies, and so I'm always really interested in sharing what is going on in the social realm. It's really helpful if you are managing a team and just want something a little bit different and edgy than what is often shared across the like prominent media types like Adweek and stuff like that. It's also really great if you are fresh out of college and looking for some inspiration in your career or if you're a small business owner. I think there's a variety of different people that have given me feedback about what they like about it. So please do go and subscribe to that if that sounds interesting to you in the least. You can also support this podcast by subscribing, rating, reviewing, Podcasters do not ask you to do that because we have fun asking for it. It's because it really, really helps us just be successful with our podcasts. It makes a difference. So please take a moment out of your day, whether you are sitting on the toilet, whether you're on the bus, whatever, it just takes a second. Please go subscribe, rate, and review. It's greatly, greatly appreciated. I just want to give a big shout out to Hotel Tonight. I'm a huge fan. Hotel Tonight is awesome for last minute hotel bookings at really quality hotels with a discount. It's really great. Use LCOOK61 on your first Hotel Tonight booking to save. And a quick plug for Soothe. Soothe is a service for in-home massages and it's really, really incredible. I'm a huge fan. When I have the time and budget and whatever, I love to be able to book a massage. They come to your house or your Airbnb or your hotel or whatever. It is a great way to unwind. Um, There's like been some interviews I've listened to with people who are big advocates for massages, not just for the relaxation purpose, but it's also super therapeutic. It helps like, I don't know, I guess it helps me a lot just Think of new ideas. I'm a weirdo and keep a notepad by me when I'm getting a massage. Like so just reach over and jot down the different things that come to mind. I've worked through a lot of emotional stuff as well as had like really great, just creative ideas while getting massages. So it is in my opinion, well worth the investment. Sometimes even better than a good night's sleep is a massage, especially if you're on the road traveling. Thank you again for listening to BTS podcast. Um, please feel free to share what you want to hear the behind the scenes of. I would love to know what you're interested in. It helps not only inspire different ideas for me, but also sometimes even support ones that I may have thought of and then sort of cast aside. So if there's anything you're interested or any particular person you're interested in hearing from, please do shoot me a Twitter or Instagram DM. If you're only on Facebook, uh, that works too. Just, uh, know that I'm not ignoring you and that I am not great at checking my Facebook messages. So Twitter or Instagram messages are preferred. I would love to hear what you have to say. Thanks again.